This episode of the Screenwriter's Rant Room is brought to you by the Finish Line Script Competition. In its sixth year, the Finish Line Script Competition is the only script competition run by ex-literary managers. Six-plus pages of actionable development notes are available to you, or you can submit your script as is. Scripts can be rewritten and resubmitted for free anytime throughout the competition. Over 40 mentors read and meet with the winners, and the competition staff itself works with many semifinalists on getting their material read throughout the industry. They are here to help writers succeed by improving your script along the way and making sure you get opportunities when your material is ready. So check out what's happening at finishlinescriptcomp.com, now open for submissions. I'ma say what I feel And I promise to keep it real Welcome to the Red Room Well, you gotta be a rider till your fears are diminishing, the doubts are behind ya. It's hard to grind and the business got me stressed in the rent room. We let that shit up off our chest. You know the street nerds got no time for no caca. Sass in class, yes, that's Mr. Bolakaja. Never have to guess when you're listening to Hilliard. He gon' bring more game than a shark playing billiards. It's all about the crap of screenwriting. It's exciting when you turn an outline into something enlightening. Your pen and words are like bullets in a gun. Write what you feel, say what you want. Welcome to the Rant Room. What's up, y'all? It's your boy, Hilliard Guest. You guys are listening to the Screenwriters Rant Room. We keep it real, we keep it opinionated, and we keep it Wakanda forever. Yeah. You know how we do it on the Rant Room. On the show, we discuss entertainment, TV, film, music, culture, but our focus is always screenwriting, stories, craft, and shit like that. Little disclaimer, <clears throat> we are all back again. We are all incredible. <laughs> the rhyme edible all of that shit um we're all here i'm actually we're actually not all here that's what i was trying to say lisa bolakaja is out today hopefully she'll be back soon <clears throat> it was start did you see it starting to rain camille outside it is starting to rain camille about to rain with her stuff here comes the I rain did. again i see you <laughs> <laughs> camille about the rain here with her stuff comes the rain Come on again <laughs> Falling on my head like a new <laughs> You know the song. Come on, the rhythmic. Um, anyway, so Lisa's not here. Chris will be here in a few more minutes. He had to go grab his little coffee. You know, motherfuckers need their coffee and stuff. You know, they tripping with that. Um, but we are back in the office. We have our first guest in person. This is why it took me a minute to set up. I was like, how do we do this again? <laughs> it's been a while. We're all fully vaccinated. <laughs> exactly. Yes, we are. Um, um, did, did you have any effects? I did. I was down for like a day and a half. Yeah. Mine, the second I, one put me, I had a little bit of a fever. I took Tylenol, but it, but it, it, it like I'd be sitting watching TV and I'd just be out. Yeah. I actually had chills. I didn't get any. I had chills and I had to stay in bed. I could not get out of bed cause I was so cold. Mm-hmm. I guess I had a fever and chills <laughs> and I took Advil, mm-hmm. Advil 800. Oh, you went way up. <laughs> <laughs> but I literally was in bed for like one full day. Really? With the chills and with, I guess it's like kind of flu symptoms, but mm-hmm. not the stuffy nose, any of that. Just mm-hmm. the chills and the body aches. I just had like, um, I felt like I felt, what's the word? Um, Foggy. 
No, more like like a sinus headache. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? That's what mm-hmm. I felt like I had. Yeah. Did you <clears throat> get Moderna or Pfizer? Moderna. Yeah, me too. Did you? Yeah. I wish I do wish I had just gotten the one though. No, mm-mm. that one. It's not as effective. Says who? I, you ain't I don't reading. know. I, mean, I read. You I don't read, read nothing. <laughs> you know, Pfizer, Moderna. I guess ninety six, ninety five, or whatever. Yeah. Johnson and Johnson sixty five. I guess I'm like that. <laughs> You're stupid. Um. <laughs> but it's one shot. But <clears throat> right. That's okay. I'll take my Moderna. It was worth it. <laughs> so if you guys are grown, let's go ahead and get into the show. You hear her voice, my girl Camille Tucker, on here. Writer, producer, director herself. Hello, 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 hello. Did I, did I miss like professor or something else? Professor, that's interesting. I have been a screenwriting professor for the last seven years. Nice. And I just resigned from being a full-time did screenwriting you? professor. Yes. Can I give you a high five on yes, that shit? Bam. Yes. I heard that. So my writing just got so full. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, let me let me do this. Let me do this writing it's thing. Time. Yeah, it's yes. time. So let's go back. Tell everybody like where you from and how you got into the game because we know you from Compton. <laughs> <laughs> you know I'm from Compton. I wear that like a badge now. Yes. I like to call myself the first or second daughter of Compton. Oh, yeah, you know, right. get a little shine on there. No, because my father was the mayor of Compton. Right. So I guess that makes me first daughter. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> second daughter because I have what an year, older. What year was I have he an the older mayor? sister, what? but. My father was mayor from, I think, 80, I think it was 80 to 90. Oh, wow. Um, and he was a three-term mayor, and um, he passed away from cancer in, in 90, from oh. stomach cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, thank you. It's been a while. Sometimes mm-hmm. it seems like, you know, it's like, Seems like it's longer or mm-hmm. shorter, but you know, definitely gone through the that. The feeling can come back like that. Yeah, though. in a moment, yes, in yes. A, on a dime, thinking mm-hmm. about him for. And I also always hear his voice and his wise sayings, especially in this career in this mm-hmm. industry. He was in politics. I feel like in Hollywood and the entertainment industry, there's level of that yep. politics, yep. you know, um, in as the, on the business side. But yeah, so I, my father was the mayor. My mother was an educator and mm-hmm. she is still an author and a businesswoman. And so from an early age, I saw my mother writing novels. Mm. You know, that was when they used to write on, on typewriters. <laughs> <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Tell the kids what that is. is that <laughs> I know, it's a thing. You, but my mother would be type, you know, writing up her manuscript. And I remember being just like a baby, like a toddler, I guess, like on her lap. Mm-hmm. And so I think that from an early age, I got a love for, you know, reading, for creating fiction. Mm-hmm. And what I laugh about is, uh, well, f- a few things. First of all, when I was growing up, Compton wasn't so cool. Like, <laughs> I tell people I'm from Compton, they'd be like, you're from Compton? <laughs> so for all she, of she you. Lying. She from Bompton. She's from Bompton. All, all she of lying. you who said that back in the day, you know what? Okay. I think that, you know, Venus and Serena. Leslie Sykes, Ava DuVernay, you know, all the the beautiful people that have come out of Compton doing some great things. Y'all just have to eat it. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, after my dad was mayor, my brother ran for his open seat and became mayor. And then he became congressman of that area. So it definitely was like a political family. Mm-hmm. They used to call my family. This is jokingly, but I have to share this. <coughs> no, the Kennedys of Compton. Nice. That's right. The LA Times used that's to call us the Kennedys of Compton. Because y'all was so. fine, too. We, y'all was Compton, fine. we was Compton bougie. 
bougie, but you know, in the hood. Um, but I, I have fond memories from there. And I lived in this neighborhood called Richland Farms, okay. which a lot of people don't know. It was zoned for livestock. Really? So I would be driving down the street and there would literally be steer coming really? down the street. Yes. Our neighbors had chickens. They had goats. Right. So you guys, My, it sounded like everybody had a little bit more acreage or more or room. Each house like. was on an acre or okay. three-fourths of an acre, okay. I think, in this particular uh, neighborhood called right. Richland Farms, right. which is still there today. So when you hear about the Compton Cowboys, mm-hmm. you'll it's that, in that neighborhood. Yeah. That's where a lot of those people have their horses and everything. Okay. So my friends, the cooks that live down the street, um, and a lot of other friends had uh, were in the 4-H club. Hmm. So it was just kind of interesting because people don't know that they they think of a certain neighborhood in a certain way. They don't know all of the little intricacies. So where where, where is that about in Compton? Like where, what's close near to it? like the Compton Airport near okay. Wilmington and Greenleaf. Okay. And there's a on the street called Greenleaf. There's a long stretch. And that's where you'll see a lot of the horses, hmm. people riding their horses going down this long stretch of, of like green, Still you know, today. oh, to this day. Nice. I went down there. I went down there the other day, and I mm-hmm. saw some of the cowboys. Really? Yeah, on their horses. It's it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I love that aspect. I think there's a story in there too right. somewhere. But well, did you see the new movie on um, Concrete Cowboy? Yes. I heard about it, but I didn't it's, see it. I liked it. I mean, it's not enough Idris in it personally, mm. but the kid is amazing who stars in it. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's just yeah. a different story. But but I thought I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, yeah, I'll have to see that. Yeah. I'm going to be pretty bad today on things that I've seen because I've been kind of wrapping out my professorship. Mm-hmm. So, um, so you I'm, I'm going to read and study. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I read screenplays for that. Mm-hmm. Um, other the students screenplays and it's been very re- rewarding, but um, it's a it's a great time to, yeah. you know, transition into full time writing. But yeah, so my mom um, had a number of businesses and so forth, and she actually had a Montessori school. Hmm. So I went to that school. and It was her school? It was her school. She owned it. She was the principal. Mm -hmm. And then when I was in second grade, it burned down. Mm -hmm. And I ended up going to Chadwick School, which is in Powell's Verdes. It's a private prep school. So I kind of really had this dual upbringing, which I think a lot of I've met a number of people that can kind of relate to that yeah. now. Whether I, you, I relate to that. You yeah. got bused mm-hmm. from a predominantly black neighborhood yeah. to a predominantly white school, or in this case, it was a private school. But when her Montessori school burned down, some friends told my parents, oh, you should send your kids to Chadwick. And so there were 50 people in my graduating class. Chris Derrick in so. the building. I have something very bizarre to, to add to that story. So I grew up in an all-white neighborhood. I was bused to a black school. I mean, a school that was in a black neighborhood. Really? Wow. Yeah. But, That's but great. it was the gifted school that was it, that they put in the black neighborhood because right. because because they could take it over without much fuss. And then there was still like this kind of weird island of like all these white kids and me and a couple of the black kids were in this this all black school mm-hmm. very bizarre very very bizarre yeah, yeah. and yeah. that's that's fascinating i'm sure that informs a lot of your storytelling and everything that's why i hate people <laughs> but, but camille <laughs> i was telling you off off um off tape earlier about how i grew up you know in east palo alto in, mm-hmm. in there and that school with dangerous minds was right it, i think it closed a year before i was supposed to go to high school maybe wow. two mm-hmm. and so i was supposed to go to that school so when 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 that didn't happen, they started shipping like 25, 30 of us a year to the white side. 
you know, so I went to Menlo Atherton High School, which is, you know, all white school, whatever. And so so they started shipping just a few of us in different schools. So we couldn't be bombarded by us, but you could take 20 or 30 of us, you know, <laughs> even though there's 1,200 of them. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah. Oh, totally wow. Totally to that. Right. Yes. Yeah. So you know how that is. Um, well, I remember I was on the swim team, and um, this was in high school, but earlier, uh, because I did swim a lot, the first time I got in the pool, um, I used to get, I guess, a press or whatever, and my yeah. hair frizzed up, and this white girl started teasing me. I was like, I used to get into fights. Really? Because I brought a little Compton. I was getting into fights every day because they were teasing me every day, and I got called the N-word and everything. So the principal said, you're just coming up here causing trouble. And I'm saying, these wow. girls are teasing me and they don't know what's up. I'm exactly. about to hit somebody. But I used to, in elementary school, I used to get into fights. I got into day. fights. I got in a lot of fights. Really? Yeah. Because you had to prove yourself that you weren't, no, you were like, look. I got into fights with the other, with the white kids who were grades older than me, who were lived in my neighborhood who were on the bus, mm. who were going to that black school. Right. Oh. Okay. It was so crazy. Um <laughs> And I was the one. I remember, like, um, like you know those little things. What are those? Like you know those, the the compass with the, the use for math with the mm-hmm. needle and the thing. Yeah. This guy would not stop fuck with me. So I was like, hey, uh, yeah, in, in his leg. <laughs> he was like, ah. It was like that scene in, in Dirty Harry when dude gets stabbed yeah. in the leg. <laughs> and uh, uh, principal was like, "Yeah, um, what happened here?" <laughs> and I was like, "Well, you know, he was like fucking with me." And and uh, I mean, it was crazy. It was crazy. It was. And then it, I guess he stopped. Yes, <laughs> he did. Oh yeah, he did. And and so, and, and and so did everybody. Yeah. After that. So wait, this was in the where was this again? Where this is in Shaker Heights, Ohio. Oh okay, Ohio. Okay. God. You know, it's interesting about being called the N word and. Did you hear about that guy in uh I just was I was telling my showrunner this the other day because we were exactly. talking about um in Florida mm-hmm. the this this 27 year old black guy he was the a Dunkin a Dunkin Donuts manager mm-hmm. he hit this white man and killed him with one what? punch What um wow. was it the punch or was it the hit his the head fall hit the, he hit, he, yeah. He, he, he yeah <clears throat> what happened was this you know there's cuz there was a drive through okay. The guy got his and the, the the guy got his order wrong. Now, not the black guy, the white guy. His order was done wrong, okay. and he came in and he was screaming at the manager, and it was just and it was all on tape and just just rolling out the n word, just blah 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 blah. blah. And the manager took it and, and they finally said, "Say that one more time." <laughs> I love that. And then the guy did, and he said, "Bam!" Hit him in the face. Guy got seventy-seven year old white guy fell down. His head hit the concrete, ah. you know, and then he was in the hospital. But it's like. You have to let people know. If you say to someone, say that one more time. You might not want to say it. You might. Don't I say mean, that one more time. I, I, mean, yeah. I mean, that's when it's yeah. like. I've taken these 12, you said. Now, here's the. Here's the here's, now, he's, he's charged with manslaughter. Wow. But the thing is, this is in Florida. Mm-hmm. Where they have the stand your ground law, which which oh, was, you probably can carry there. Too, well, can. well, yeah, which is what Joe Zimmerman used to kill right. uh, Trayvon, Trayvon Martin. Martin. Right. So if this guy doesn't, if he can't use that same defense, because he because he's being verbally assaulted like the, mm-hmm. like they're in his workplace and told him step back, you're threatening me. Right. So now I have to defend myself. Right. So it, anyway, this is just the bullying conversation. Just, <laughs> it's, it, it, welcome, yeah. well, welcome to the rant room. I told you yeah. we, we go off on some shit. <laughs> little, little, we were <laughs> Shout out 
So, Camille, so how did you get into writing and how did that transition? Because you said earlier, you, you had, when you got into the guild a long time ago, you know, you had already gotten in and then years went by and then you finally, like, now you're back again. So what, yeah. what, what, what happened? Well, I told you that my mother was a writer mm-hmm. and so that influenced me at a young age and going to that white, all white school, um, I really did start asking some questions and started writing actually poetry okay. when I was younger. Oh, and I was me a too. theater kid. Yeah, I was a too. theater kid. So mm-hmm. I did all of the plays in middle school and mm-hmm. high school. And I was at UCLA when I was a freshman. I was a theater arts major. Okay. So okay. I thought I wanted to be an actress. <laughs> so, but then I said, you know what? I don't feel like going on all these auditions. I just want to write my own stuff. Mm-hmm. And I had been a writer. I had written some little one act plays that had been performed in high school and so forth. Mm-hmm. So I applied for, I applied for the film school at UCLA and I didn't get in. Mm. And then I applied for the creative writing major and I got in mm, mm. Um, for poetry. Mm. Okay. So I was kept writing in that medium, had some great master teachers. And when I graduated from UCLA, I was at a party and because everything happens at a party, mm. right? And a, I, a friend said, Camille's trying to get into the industry. And my friend helped me get a job at Walt Disney Studios. Okay. So I became an assistant, mm. you know, the very lowest, whatever. Mm. Um, in the creative development department where we read the scripts and um, just started reading a lot of scripts. And that really was my quote-unquote film school. Mm-hmm. Um, while I was an assistant, I linked up with a girlfriend that went to UCLA with me um, and we made a short film, which mm-hmm. a lot of people around in the LA area know and love called Sweet Potato Ride, which was a father-son story set in South Central Los Angeles. I like the title. It's, it's such a, it's cute. When I look back at it, I think it's corny, but I think it's cute. I, I have a question. I have an interesting question because you worked in a studio creative department as an assistant. Yeah. This means that, that, that you're not just reading like the scripts that get made that most people do. What you're reading is the scripts that they've been pitched and you're coming in and you're seeing all the drafts that the writers are redoing and taking notes and everything like that. Yeah. Now, see, that's an interesting experience to have because you get to see how a script gets starts getting molded by yeah. the executives. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's yeah. I think that's interesting. You get to see how with good executives a script can elevate and get better. Right. You can sometimes see how a script can get developed away from mm-hmm. its original intent mm-hmm. and premise and get worse. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I've been I mean I would I've been not that I was in the rooms cuz I was an assistant, but you know, around the conversations or helping my boss by reading some of the drafts where they, they've even said, we developed a way. And they're like, mm-hmm. let's go back. And that's even happened to me before. Let's go back to the second draft or that first draft. Mm-hmm. But just change a few of these little things. But we really want to go back to that draft. Yeah. I've seen that happen before. And, you know, having been a professor for the last seven years, what I tell my students and, you know, anybody wanting to get into this industry, a lot of people are like, you know, I've got this, I've got talent, I'm creative, but... They really don't understand how the business aspect works and what you're talking about there. They don't know that you can get rewritten mm-hmm. or they don't know that executives might not like and give you 10 pages of notes on a script. So you have to be thick skinned because you have to understand that business aspect. I mean, for some people, it can be somewhat soul sucking or draining. But I think your endurance and your resilience and your strength and I'm going to keep coming, I'm going to keep coming 
you know, I am a writer. I'm going to keep doing this. That's that's an important quality that somebody has to build up too. For sure, because yeah. I think that you, you know, like I'm working on my first TV show now. So after going through a season of it, here we are on season two. There's so many things. I so want to do a panel on this, but I don't know why no one's in a panel on this. Mm-hmm. What do you don't know as a staff writer? Mm-hmm. There's so much that you don't know when you come in. You think you know. Yeah. Because you've been around, you've been trying, you've been reading it, you've been reading interviews, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So much that people don't tell you. Mm-hmm. They won't tell you. I don't know why they won't tell you. But it's interesting because the, the executives, I think the crazy, I think the, the wildest thing you have to realize a lot when you're writing something professionally mm-hmm. is, the executives are your first audience. They're, I'm not, I'm gonna steal that I, I, you know, because you, yeah. you sit there and you think, oh, the audience is going to love this. The fans, blah, 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 yeah. blah, blah. Right. It's never going to get to them until you get past them. Right. And that, and, and like you said, executive, like if it's a good executive, they'll elevate it. If it's bad, they'll go some, they'll go some, they'll go sideways with it. I mean, it's just like, it's interesting to know, to see that what's happening and people who've been in the game for a minute. As we hear story, I mean, somebody got the guy who's the number two. He talks about he's working on a show before where it was like he 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 tells these stories where he where he would write really cool stuff, mm-hmm. and his showrunner would say, "That's too good for this show. This is broadcast TV. <laughs> Dumb it Whoa. down. Blah blah blah." Wow. Because and he was saying, "Oh, this is a guy who's been who's been in the game for like 15, 20 years, mm-hmm. and it's like he just wants his money. He doesn't. It's 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 like going to a factory for him." Yeah. And he was like saying, at a certain point, you see people realize that that there there's a level where the caring stops, and they just are trying to like get the mach- get the machines going. And it's fascinating. And I think that when you're young, you're outside of the business, and you're just like, I want to tell this story. I want to tell these stories. You don't realize there's that level of like two things. I was going to piggyback off of that is that's why one of our friends. You know, stop being a co-EP on a big show that we know, right? Oh, right. And also, I always say a similar thing to what Chris just said, which would make a great T-shirt. <clears throat> People ask me when I write, who am I writing the script for? I say, I write it for the reader and the executive. Because for me, they're the gatekeeper. They're the ones who are going to read it and make yep. a decision first. Yeah. It's not who's my audience. My audience is who I hope it will be. You know what I mean? And that you can't write for them because they're not going to see your audience unless it's written a certain particular way. So I write for the people I know who's going to read it. That's why I'm so anal about how everything looks on the page and Absolutely. all that because I know when I was yeah. a reader, yeah. <laughs> when you were a reader, we were like, mm-mm, nope. Nope. Yep. Next. Yep. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep. So I put away all Pass that early. bullshit. Pass early. That's yep. going to make me say, no, I'm writing for you. Yeah. You know, right. so you go, wow, look at how he did this. And look at the, you know, love how he used this word and blah, 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 blah. And, oh, my God. The dialogue is just popping. It's moving. Boom, 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 boom. I forgot what it was about. It was so good. Whatever the thing <laughs> is, my the thing that I get the most is I just kept turning the page. Yes. You know what I mean? And yes. that's the Kept key. Kept turning the page. There's an absolute aesthetic to writing. Right. You know, we want people to fall in love with the words and the images and be taken on this visual journey and the journey with the dialogue that they are, they <laughs> do want to turn the page. And that takes, that takes you know, that 10,000 right. hour, you know, theory or whatever. It's, it takes a minute. It's, it's, it takes a, it's a skill. It's a, it's, it's, and the thing is, it's truly a skill. Like, that's the skill you can learn. You know, the rest of it, like, like, like observations of life and blah, 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 yeah. like that. I don't know if I can teach you that because, no. the, because that's your own ability to like, you know, like how curious you are with the world around you. But, but the ability to be strong on the page, like that can be taught. It's just that, you know, are you, like you were saying, 
Are you willing to put in the time and ha and have the thick skin and the perseverance and the resilience? Because while you're learning that skill, then, you, then it's like you're going to get kicked in the nuts a lot, mm -hmm. you know? And it's like, well, how many times is that going to happen before I need to stop? And it's like, well, I'm just not going to stop. I'm just going to put, I'm, I'm just going to put a cup on and I'll be good. <laughs> <laughs> so Camille, um, so eventually you guys made this short film. So yes, it did, it did I well. I figure you wanted to yeah. get back to that. Um, it was it was a weird thing because you know and again this was like in the mid nineties uh, okay. so um, the tell she she a vampire too I, I was twelve no <laughs> I was six um, but seriously so this was in the mid nineties mm -hmm. and um, it was a different time yeah so John Singleton who's a, who was a friend and may he rest in peace and a contemporary mm -hmm. this was the time that like he was like busting out and you know a lot of black males were busting out right. and there weren't any black females really mm -hmm. i mean we had like amazing people like debbie allen who was directing stuff and mm -hmm. but my partner and i, I think we got into kind of my former writing partner kim green and i got into this like sweet spot where we were kind of being touted <laughs> as the female version right. of the headland brothers or whoever right. so when we did our short we uh, the Baldwin Hills used to have a theater over there on mm -hmm. the Brea. Mm -hmm. We had a big screening, mm -hmm. and we had a publicist at the time. I see all of these serendipitous things that were happening. You know, um, for me, just I call them God shots mm -hmm. um, that were all coming together. I don't even know how we got this publicist, but he got us an article that was on the front page of the calendar section, oh, nice. mm. and so that enabled us to okay, invite. You need to call him back. <laughs> he's still my friend and he's still my brother Mark Cheatham I love him but um, that enabled us we had 600 people at our screening because mm. the calendar article had come out right before that mm. so we were sending out invitations and everybody thought we were the hot ticket so mm. they were coming um, there was like 10 agents there mm. we signed with an agent mm -hmm. APA mm -hmm. within I think two weeks um, the only agency that wouldn't come was CAA they said, if They're we can't the see one. the film first, we're not coming. They're always that one. <laughs> um, but the funny thing is, this is so funny. Our agent said, okay, so where's your feature script? Hmm. And we were like, feature script? <laughs> <laughs> Which goes to show how things evolve and how exactly. much more savvy people are now. Because yeah. we shot on, you know, 35 millimeter. I mean, oh, this was at that. Yeah, wow. we were shooting on film at that time. Nice. So... Um, you know, we we had not had a feature script ready, though. Mm. And we should have either done a feature version of that or something. So we had to go in the woodshed. And over two to three months, we wrote an African-American version of My Fair Lady. Well, I wouldn't say version, mm -hmm. but that was the one I was telling you about. So mm -hmm. it was about a professor at Stanford who was doing some um, work uh, with some students from East Palo Alto mm -hmm. and falls in love with this girl at the time I would Eliza Doolittle <laughs> at the from time, the hood that was the character wasn't from it? the hood yeah <laughs> at the time her name was Nene I wouldn't call her Nene but that was the first script that we Hold sold on. there were a bunch of Nene's in EPA first of all <laughs> <laughs> but yeah that was the first script that we sold and I think I was giving the context because it's kind of unheard of that mm -hmm. you just do a short film mm -hmm. and then the first script that you write like raggedy, barely in a room of two mm -hmm. months, you end up selling it. But the, Did you guys sell it in a script? Did you have to go in and pitch it? Like how, how did that work? Yeah, let me tell you this because this is an interesting story too. So at the same time after we did the short, 
we went to an after Oscar party. Do you remember Georgia? That yeah, restaurant? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Georgia was still open. Okay. Denzel owned it and other yeah, people yeah. owned it. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. we went to Georgia and Robert De Niro is leaving an after Oscar party hmm. with Penny Marshall and maybe Chaz Palminteri or some friend or something. And um, I heard that his nickname was Bobby, but I didn't know him. So as he was getting into his limo, mm. I said, Bobby! Like I called him out and said his like, name. Like y'all cousins. Like, yeah. like my cousins. Like he knew me. And actually he thought he knew me because I did that. Well, he knows a lot of, you know, his wife was black. And I know, I know. Yeah. People always say they're like, you know, you know, he like, like I'm like, no, this is business. He was okay? trying to get you. He was trying Come to get on. you. <laughs> but he read our, you know, it was called Milady, our mm-hmm. our black, you know, version of that. And he loved it. He saw our short film and loved it. So he became the producer. Mm-hmm. And he had a deal at TriStar, mm-hmm. Sony. And so the next thing I know, I'm going from within a year, being on a desk, David Hoberman's desk at Touchstone Pictures at mm-hmm. Disney, to going in and having meetings with Mark Platt, who was the head wow. of TriStar at the time, wow. Stacy Snyder, who was like yeah. his second, wow. and a guy named Chris Lee. Is Chris Lee? Do you remember Chris yeah, Lee? Yeah, I remember Chris Lee. Lee. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, Asian brother, mm-hmm. a real smart cat. If people who don't know, like those, those people are all still around. Like, yeah, yeah. Still, like, Chris like, Lee was Platt really huge. Stacy mm-hmm. Snyder, she ran yeah. DreamWorks for a while. I can't remember what she's doing now. Um, yeah. And and Chris Lee was a, I think he's still around. Doesn't he run Justin Lin's company? Maybe maybe not. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not sure where Chris is, but those were the people. So it, you know, normally when you're a new writer, you're meeting with like a creative executive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But this was just all the way at the top. And the funny thing is, Mark Platt was like, "My ladies, my ladies," because the script was milady. <laughs> he was like, "My ladies, come in. I love your script." So he loved it. We actually were on a fast track. We would have been the the first African American women uh, female team hmm. to direct a studio film. Hmm. Um, and oh, we, they were talking about you guys directing it too. Yeah, we were we were going to co direct it. Wow. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and um, but you know, a funny thing happened at the way to the forum, which is Mark <laughs> Platt. And, you know, his contract wasn't renewed, or he didn't, you know, continue at TriStar. We were just talking about this, weren't we? The and that happens to a lot of people changing <laughs> yep, of the guard yep. and the new guy was like what is this script um but the, a few cool stories so all of the amazing actresses at the time auditioned nia long yeah. tracy ellis ross to play this part of mm-hmm. nene um and even t-boss from tlc remember really? t-boss mm-hmm. she was trying to get into acting mm-hmm. lauren hill was talked about but one of the funniest things, it wasn't Mark Platt, but I guess it was some business affairs guys or whatever. The the bean, the bean counters were basically like, you need to get Halle Berry, hmm. you know, which Halle Berry is an amazing actress. Mm-hmm. But this was supposed yeah, to be, you know, this like she's girl. Got some flavor. She's she's yeah. But yeah. this was supposed to be, you know, we wanted we thought Lauren Hill might be good. We thought it might be interesting to have T. Boz, you mm-hmm. know, get her introduction. So a fresh face. But then it became we won't make it until unless you guys get Halle Berry. So I just thought that that was like she's already sophisticated. She's mm-hmm. already she's not Nene, mm-hmm. you know. Um, Which this this is before Baps or after this was Baps? Before Baps, Baps. But then a weird thing Baps kind of emerged, and we were like somebody stole our idea. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, there's ideas going on. I think Baps was. I guess people have love for Babs, but it was not as sophisticated yeah. of a, yes. a story. 
as 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 ours mm-hmm. you know because and well, ours was like a singular like a, a real love story like these people really thought meeting connecting falling in love right. yeah well i think that i think there was a there was a vanity fair round table within the last month or so it's all black women talking about one of the and this is now one of the problems about telling stories like our stories and particularly like our love stories is it's like you've got to get someone who has a notion of what our love is supposed to look like yeah has to sign off on it and it's like and 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 if they don't buy what you're trying to do then that adds additional uphill battle sure. with like with the cast <laughs> and the yeah, because if that's like so if you try to get Halle Berry it's like 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 uh, what the hell's her name what is what is Will Smith's wife's name Jada I mean like you got Jada to play that role yeah you know she at least and has Jada that Jada actually edge. was one person at to be this is because at hilarious. that time if that she at, had that because at yeah. that time this is like around the time of like set it off and stuff like yeah. that yeah see so right. it's like you you know you could have pulled her so. There's, well, there's let me other... tell you another funny story. So Robert De Niro set up a meeting. We met with Will. Mm-hmm. We, I guess he was, I can't remember what he she was She called him Will like um, that's her cousin. See what I'm talking about? And we met with Will and Will said, Jada and I read the script. And we were talking about starring in it together. But at the end of the day, Will didn't feel that he was maybe old enough or sort of mature enough to kind of play that professor. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Jada to play the part. So he didn't end up doing it. But that's fascinating wow. that you say that because that was one of the conversations we had. So, yeah, so that was the way. And I know that stories like that don't happen every day. I think I want to say one thing, which is like if somebody comes out of the gate and maybe they sell their first thing mm-hmm. or their first short or what have you, gets them some shine and they find themselves. You've you got to really I think for me, I wasn't ready for it. Mm. I think you kind of mentioned that earlier. Um you need to kind of really like gird yourself, mm-hmm. you know, to be prepared for possibly the development process, to be prepared for people who are not going to like your material yep. or not like what you're doing um, and figure out how you plan to endure and have a long term career in this industry. And I didn't really think about that, just like how we hadn't thought of we need a feature script. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I always like tell anybody who asks, like, have a few things ready. Because if you have one thing that gets you some shine, you mm-hmm. need to be ready because everybody's going to ask you what's next. Well, Chris and I were just talking about this last week <clears throat> about there's also the reversal. When you come out of the indie world and you're the one in charge like you guys were, you made yeah. the movie, you you know, yeah. you know, sat in post, you did everything. And then you get on a TV show and you're the oh. staff writer on the show and you have no say. It's a weird thing. And you know how to do a lot of stuff. You know, and so one of the things I've been fighting, I just had a big meeting the other day, by the way, with some producers at Warner Brothers about starting a new program for more indie filmmakers to to gear them to be showrunners, because that's what's happening now. That's good. Right. Because they were like, well, we heard you talk on Clubhouse. <laughs> you know what I mean? We think you have an interesting point of view, because my whole thing is stop looking at us from the bottom. There's so many of us who've made projects, who know how to do posts, who know how to run shows, who know how to do things on a smaller scale with the right line producer and production, you know, soup and all that other than post soup. We would be able to make this thing happen See, with I, the right team. Like the thing that I think white, the white people don't realize is if you see a black project that catches your eye, 
that person had to do 10 times right. the type of work that the white person would do mm. who was getting a, a work to catch their eye. Right. Because yeah. what happens is, like, I was telling someone the other day, like, a gentleman at my job that wanted to see Bloom because I had talked mm. about it. On, and they were like, oh, my gosh, this is really cool, really cool. And I was like, man, you don't even know what it's like being black as a filmmaker. Like, right. I said to him, number one, I said, you know, like, every day that I go on set on this show, mm-hmm. I wear a blazer. If I oh, go to set, I have been noticing wow, you've been smart. doing that. He came in here the other day. I was like, "But you got a blazer on." He's like, "Trying to keep up my appearances, but my fucking." Be, no, because because like because because see, see, because if you don't, what what I've noticed is on on every set I've been on, mm-hmm. even the sets I've directed, like like when mm-hmm. we were doing Architects, mm-hmm. I come on and people think I'm a PA. Mm-hmm. They always think you're a PA because mm-hmm. they never assume a black person is going to be has got the vision to control the thing. Wow. And the thing is, and the thing that I noticed so much when I was down in Savannah like two years ago, shadowing is the ability to get a really competent crew is so difficult mm. if you're black, and it's not it's 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 because there's so few black people who get to do it, you know, like grips, gaffers, all this kind of shit like that. Just like the the, the number is so low. That you that that if you, if you choose someone black, that person doesn't have the experience. They they haven't done a lot of. They just, they just not. They're not. They're not gonna be able to do enough projects. Number one. Number two. If you get someone white who is gonna do it for the rate you could afford, that person's a problem because if you're trying to get them at like let's just say 150 a day, if you really should be paying people three hundred dollars a day, that person might do it. But there's a reason why that person is gonna take your take your money. And, you know, and also work on the weekend. Whereas mm-hmm. someone who work on a union show is like, I'm not doing it on the weekend unless you get me more than my rate. Yep. Because, but the person who doesn't, there's a there's, like there's a skill set problem, or but more than likely there is a there's a personality problem, <clears throat> a huge, and that's why they're not that's why they're not called back. Even if you're black or white, if you're not called back on the big shows, is because you have a problem that that, 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 that you don't play well. Because mm-hmm. I'll, I'll give you an example. I don't know if you remember this, but we were doing architects. Mm-hmm. And you know that scene when we when we first come into the to the laboratory. Mm-hmm. There's that there's that dolly shot, oh, you know, beautiful shot. Yeah. Do you know the do you, the 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 dolly grip was saying why does the shot need to be that long? <laughs> he kept saying we hired him just to do the dolly, just thing. The dolly oh, shot. Just yeah. the dolly grip, and, and I was kind of saying to myself, it's not your job to wonder why the shot is <laughs> what, what we're doing. That we're going, that we're dolly across the room yeah. from one side to the other. Like it's it's because he didn't want to push the dolly that yeah. far. And I was like, okay, now do I take the job? And this was a brother, wasn't he? Yeah, a brother? black guy. Yeah, oh, yeah. black no. guy. We yeah, gave him an opportunity. Gave him opportunities. Yeah. Little older guy, maybe oh, yeah. in his late forties. Yeah. yeah, a little gray hair. And I was kind of like, this is the problem that I don't think that 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 non-white, that non-black people don't realize about how difficult it is to get a project to reach a level that they're not criticizing the the the, the, the production values of it because you sh- it's just so fucking. I mean, look when we did Tigger, your boy T A. Dude. I say, I the guy who <laughs> I don't know who this nah, is. You, know. you don't need to know the guy who was the location manager insisted on being the gaffer. Oh, okay, yeah. and 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 we asked him about some equipment that he had, like, so is there a wheelchair? Do you have a doorway dolly? Do you have these kind of lights? Can the lights in the ceiling? Blah 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 blah. Oh, no problem, no problem. I got all that stuff. Didn't have any of it. Mm-hmm. 
automatic focus pro like well, he was like oh yeah we got that, got all that. yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah the follow focus yeah yeah the the, the rc yeah. follow focus didn't didn't work he lied why did you need to lie mm-hmm. why did you need to lie he could have just was said gonna get it from one of his boys or i don't even no. know what he was gonna do but he lied and it's like wait a minute dude see because if you he told wanted me the, the business one of the business he wanted us to shoot at their studio studio yeah studio and and my thing is see see that pissed me off so but i was talking to my brother today i'm so mad because it's like you didn't need to volunteer that you had shit that you didn't have because yeah. that me because you know what it's another fifty dollars to get like a follow focus. Yeah, we could have rented. Yeah. It. We could have rented that. And he said, mm-hmm. "I have it." And yeah. d- and then it didn't work. And we lost an hour and a half time trying to get it to work. And I was like, uh, uh, trying to shoot like fifteen pages that day. Uh, and I was like, this guy. So it's like there's so uh, so what you're saying about the prep work and and kind of knowing because if, uh, if you had a short that was uh, that, that 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 could impress De Niro and impress Mark Platt and stuff like that like to them they're like okay yeah it's good because we see that stuff every day from kids who come out of USC yep. you know but they don't realize that to be to that to be able to have done that as a non USC grad mm-hmm. you are in a it's just yeah it's crazy. As I, two black women two who black graduated women's, from UCLA you, who weren't film majors neither one like, of us were yeah, film majors right. yeah it's like but 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 they don't consider that and even now so back to your thing about these indie filmmakers stuff like that the hoops you got to jump through the things you have to do the like the micromanaging that you have to do you know just so you get something that you like you know that, that you can watch yeah is it, it puts you in a position that you could be a showrunner for sure you know you really could and it's all about, <clears throat> it's really all about the managing, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that I'm always telling people. Sometimes we have 30 people snip on a set. You know, when we're doing things, it's, it's, it's a smaller scale. The only thing that's different to me from, from running an actual show to then running a smaller, you know, digital series or something that we've done is, is people and budget yeah. and the turnaround. Mm-hmm. You know, their turnaround, you got to have it in a week. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Our turnaround, it takes us five months to finish the motherfucker. You know what I mean? <laughs> Just being real. You know what I mean? Because we don't have the money. We don't have it's, it's the money. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, right, right, no, right, no, the show that I'm working on is um, high seven figures, right? Yeah. And it's like the times I've been on set and I'm just like marveling at all the toys at mm. their disposal. You know what? You but know they what, don't even use the, 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 the thing that I've never seen is I've never seen lights on a that are on a set hmm. that move up and down and rotate and spin and wow. like the, like oh, electronically like, like like the light is on a three axis head wow. and I'm kind of like the lights are on three axis heads. <laughs> wow. I didn't even know. I mean, and the the cameras all the, like, and there's three cameras on. They're all mm-hmm. on three axis head cameras, like all of them, like all wow. three. It's just like, well, because because we need to be able to move. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't have the time. I'm just like, what's she gonna do? And how rare it is for people of color how hard it has been to get in those spaces exactly where we are the decision makers, where we're the ones leading the charge on that for sure. Yeah, it's it's. We've, we've been fighting it for a long time and every, every single one of us in our own way. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, it's like, that's why, one of the reasons why, you know, Chris was the co-chair, uh, the co-chair of the black community before I was. Oh, and the reason okay. why, you know, Jesus, what, 12 years ago, 10 years ago, whatever it was. A long time ago, long time. 10 years ago, yeah. <clears throat> and so it, there's, there's, there's reasons why we take these positions is to try to use what we know to help, you know, all the other filmmakers and, yeah. you know, and writers and stuff out there is to, is to help them you know, not go through the bullshit we went through yeah. <clears throat> and to show people 
yes, I see that you see that this person is only a staff writer, but let me tell you about the things that they've done mm-hmm. and how when people are going to the set and doing stuff, they could be helping. You could send them a post mm-hmm. when you don't have time. You know what I mean? You're saving money by bringing this person in, you know, whatever. So I'm trying to make sure that we hire those people, too, and put them in a better position. They don't have to just be a staff writer. You know what I mean? They already are past that. (laughs) And I think that's a... Oh, I'm sorry. sorry, Go ahead. ahead, No, I was just going to say what's interesting for me, because we were just... I want to go back a little bit okay. to like my whole writing. Oh, we're going to get back to you. I'm, okay, no, but this in is reference why, this to why what we're, the rant we're, room, we just jump what around we're talking about. Because mm-hmm. so my former writing partner, I, after <clears throat> Milady didn't end up getting made, we sold like maybe six other things. Wow, that's nice. Very similar experience, though. Mm-hmm. Um, working with high-level people, the next project we sold was a script called Gold Diggers with John Singleton, okay. which was basically about three women targeting men in the in the, in the NBA. It was like How to Marry a Millionaire, right, but right. in the NBA. But, you know, and that was with Mark Platt then when he left when he was at Universal. Mm-hmm. So we were just, you know, selling to these big studios, mm-hmm. big, big projects. Um, but none of them got made. Mm-hmm. Um, because that was at a time when studios would buy things yep. that maybe they would say, eh, for whatever reason, mm-hmm. the casting or this or that didn't end up getting made. So all of that experience that I've had in development rooms, not only as a development assistant mm-hmm. when I did that, but then high level rooms mm-hmm. with the feature scripts that I was selling. And I had a period of time of getting out of the industry when I got frustrated by all of that. But I think that looking back now, had I known, that's par for the course. Yeah. There's a lot of writers. You need to be a working writer. Don't get all frustrated just because your stuff isn't getting made. Yep. How can you be a working writer? But for me, I kind of pulled out and rebranded myself within the last, I would say, four or five years as a TV writer. Mm-hmm. I went back to LMU and I got my MFA in in writing <laughs> and I wrote like three TV pilots and mm-hmm. so forth. So with after the Clark Sisters came out, and over the last year or so, it's been great because I've been, you know, getting some attention and people right. having been the co-writer on that um, have gotten managers. But I've always wondered, like, if I get into a room like right now, mm-hmm. I've been working on getting staff. Right. Where do I fall? Because I'm not just out of like film school or whatever. I'm not some like 22 year old just out of film school. I've done a lot of feature scripts and mm-hmm. made short films and things like that. But then I've never been staffed before. I think it's a discussion. It's, yeah. a, it's a discussion with your reps about, because, you know, I've, I've done this with my reps where I'm like, here's how I need you to sell me. Do yeah. not, I'm not going for this level. I'm going for this level. Yeah. You know, and here's why. Right. Yeah. Here's my, here's the things that, that if you can get me the meeting, I could sit there and they could tell you, oh, yeah, this dude knows what he's talking about. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, can, I can sell myself. Just get me in the door. Yeah. Right. So it's the same thing for you. As soon as people hear you've sold, you've been in development rooms, you've done these things, they're like, oh, she's at least co-producer. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? They at least start to think that way. Yeah. Now, will they take you that way? It's up to you and how you got to be willing to say no. You know, I wouldn't take a staff job at, at your where you are. But yeah. that's that's what I wouldn't do. Well, see, you know, this is the thing. What I realized is I talked, you know, like when I was going through my thing, because like I turned in my draft and then I didn't hear anything about it yeah. for like two and a half weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, what the hell's going on? That'll fuck with your ego. And at the time, 
I was under contract extension already, like my third contract extension. Like it was a week to week thing, or like two weeks at a time. I was on my third one, and I was like, "So they're gonna let me go because they didn't like my giraffe." Right. And the next thing you know, it's like, "Hey, you know, we're, like we're having a room." I'm like, "Okay, so we're still on season two. And then it was like, "Hey, welcome to season three. And I was like, <laughs> "They just announce it." <laughs> and, I, and so I was kind of like, "You were worried." I was, I was worried, but right. I, but I, but you, but I, but I never knew what was happening. And the thing about it is, is that, you know, so then I finally, we had some conversations like in the last week or two and like kind of got straightened out and it's more like, you know, but the thing is, is that, you know, the number two has said to me, hey man, you, you have to realize that it's like, we're so, like, we, like the three uppers on this have been on this for an extraordinary long period of time. And we are so ready to stop talking about this season. We want to talk about the next season. Mm. And the thing is, is that, and he and he and he was like basically no one's gonna like invite you to to to, to, to like like to come like to come sit in one of the mini rooms. If you hear anyone talking, just come in there because we like not thinking that way. Mm. But then and then he was saying it was you know the other guy you know who was writing with me you know like like he helped a lot on on two or three and two or four because he had been the the executive for for, for these two other big showrunners you know oh, and then he transitioned in. And then, and but what he told me is, he said, he said, hey, so so and so earned a huge chunk of your showrunners, tr the showrunners trust by working on three and four that you haven't done because you didn't have that. Right. But, but 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 my thing was the other day, some bullshit was happening on set, <laughs> and, uh, and you know, and 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 he went ballistic with us. He was like, what the fuck were they thinking? And blah blah blah. And I was saying to myself. I have so much set experience. You know, I've directed a lot of, I mean, like a lot of hours of material. A lot. You know, <laughs> wow. like my thing is, I could be the writer you send down to, to watch what the director's doing, mm -hmm. you know, because it was stuff that the director was cool with and he was tripping and it was really crazy you know the first thing i asked about i said i said hey dude so i was like are we shooting an 8k because we could like frame that out if we were and he's like no we're not and i was like well i don't know what to tell you but it's like it's but it's, but it's stuff like that that i, that I don't know if a staff writer who's just at usc like would know you're gonna you know all this kind of stuff like this it's like there's ways to, so my thing is about whole thing all thing about this is about you what you've done is you gotta talk. There's so many things that you think that you have to be, like um, your responsibility as a staff writer, and there's the things that are just uh, they just kind of cap you. And I feel like if you can go in and say, "Look, I don't have like this experience in the writers' room, right? But I got this like production experience and this like rewrite experience because it's like the stuff the stuff's gonna get rewritten. You, you I mean, look, look if if you work with Platt and De Niro and Chris Lee and, and Stacey Snyder and, and, and everyone else and all that kind of the high energy kind of div, like notes calls of those producers yeah. that's what you're going to get back and forth when they're yeah. going to scripts and it's like that's the thing that that's the thing that like was tripping me out I was kind of saying you know I've worked with like with, with an Oscar winning producer mm. you know and so so it's like I know how to do the, the interface with notes right. you know like, mm -hmm. uh, like so put me on the notes call you know, because I know how to like like handle that. I'm, but the, the assumption is because you haven't worked on television, you don't know how to handle yourself. Assumption is you don't. You know yeah. that you you know so you, you so you have to be the one who's advocating for yourself, like way beyond what anyone can be thinking for right. you. And, you know, and, and that's yeah. why I was saying to you, Camille, it's it's I, and I'm not telling you not to take a staff job. Please know that 
-hmm. It's about what you can take. Right. You know what I mean? You got to be willing to go in there knowing I know all this shit and I'm going to have to shut my fucking mouth, which is difficult to do when you're used to being in charge. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I had a problem. He's got a problem. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? So it's difficult. You know what I mean? You're sitting there. You know the answer and you can't speak out because you're going to look like the crazy Yeah, yeah, Well, yeah, because it's like the thing is is, is that, that... you can't um, countermand the showrunner, right? Right. And, and you can't make him or her look dumb. <laughs> Not look dumb, but look right. like... Because I, I remember there was so much that was happening in the early drafts, and, and I, I was like, why didn't they change this? <laughs> they need to change this part right here mm-hmm. just they need to change this dialogue blah blah blah, blah. and I was like and I, I was like it's not my place to tell the showrunner yeah. to tell him how to rewrite his draft it, I was, and it's his voice and it's his voice you know it's right. like wow. this like, you, it wasn't like his voice but yeah. it was like sto- the story stuff and then eventually they changed it but I saw it early yeah. and I was like but that was a lesson now you wait until you get a few a few steps in before you have to have a voice about it. That that's the lesson that I found. Yeah, you yeah. you ha- you go. Oh, I think we should change this. And you go. Let me see what happens on when we get to the next color. So let me see if they change that. Let's and see then, four colors down. Well, yeah, let's see nine colors down. <laughs> that's just me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, and it's and it's, uh, it's only. But I think that's that goes back to when I said the entertainment industry. Is like if you understand politics, you know, or chess or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, it's sometimes you have to hold that move. Yeah, it's political. Know? And it's yeah. it can be political. No, it's it, like, how do you move, maneuver politically? Um, and eventually then there's going to be that place where your voice will be respected. Right. Yeah, there's, there, there's all that. Well, the thing that changed it for me, the thing that changed it is mm-hmm. I put on, you know, Facebook that that Bloom got in this short film I did a few years ago. It got into this other film festival. It had been in like 15. I said, oh, there's a new one, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and the number two said, oh, like, like where is this? I'm going to see it. You know, and then I sent it to him. And then two days later, like the whole conversation with me was changed. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, I read your pages and you write like a director. And, blah, blah, blah. and I was like, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, wow. you know it's like it, and it's it's, it's it's the conversation changes because then he sees there's me. a little bit more respect. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The yeah. um the um thing I was going to ask you, Camille, is so so for so that's what made you. So you you guys sold more projects, and eventually you guys got out of the business for a little while. Yeah, eventually right? um, <clears throat> we just decided, and I definitely needed a break. Mm-hmm. And um, it really, the way that I say it is I did kind of have a career crisis. Um, and I just was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I even thought I don't want to write anymore. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't totally serious, but I <clears throat> needed to step away. It was it was pretty bad. So, mm-hmm. you know, it was a partnership breakup mm-hmm. and we had that whole thing. And you had to reinvent yourself again. Mm-hmm. Chris knows very well. And what you're you know about. what happened to me? Oh, you hit, well, let me yeah. tell you this. Go ahead. Yeah. When my writing partner and I ended our partnership, different agents and studio execs and everything said, well, like, well, we don't know what you did and we don't know oh, what yeah. you did. So I know that. I know that. What do you have? And mm-hmm. similar to that going back full circle, oh, I'm supposed to have my own script. Yeah. I did have my own script. I was so ill prepared. Mm-hmm. Um, but the weird, the weirdest part, and this is where I think I sort of had like the kind of career and spiritual crisis was that um, it took me a while. Hmm. Like I couldn't write anything on my own. And I seriously, when people say, well, what's your voice? 
I seriously had to ask myself, what is my voice? Oh, you had to go and find it for yourself. And this is what you were talking about, Chris, when you talked about life experiences, because it's not about writing to the marketplace or what does Disney want or what does Warner want or whatever. I think that the stories come from within. Hmm. And I just had discounted the stories that could come from within or my life, own life experience. I think that the one thing that's really interesting about our industry is like for a lot of us, yes, that was your first job. That's where you started, but it can be very insular. And so that's boring. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, for me, some of my most interesting life experiences come from when I was a teacher, when I did, you know, subbing. I, I missed that part, but I was a substitute teacher before I got that job at Disney you know, working in Compton mm -hmm. or um, over the last several, not last few years, but my nieces lived with me at one point mm -hmm. um, and I was helping to co-raise them and being a mother, like being a single mother mm -hmm. who was not, you know, those are not your children, getting them at a later point in their life, um, stuff like that. Like what not, lots of stories, <laughs> exactly. that kind of experience mm -hmm. or when I worked at Hispanic TV. Mm -hmm. So I speak Spanish, so I became a copywriter in Hispanic TV oh, for a bit. Now that was crazy, where they make the telenovelas, mm -hmm. and you talk about some crazy drama and stuff. But <laughs> just that, you know, and just even seeing with their culture and what it's like there, working mm -hmm. at a place like Telemundo or Univision, um, and and just the life stuff, um, you know, being when, there when someone is having a baby or when someone. I was in the room when my father passed away from cancer, like mm. those life experiences mm -hmm. um, for me being in recovery. Um, those kinds of things are what draw me deeper into these can become my right. stories. Right. So <laughs> it took a while to get to that point mm -hmm. to realize that's where I'm getting, that's my voice. That's where I'm getting my stories. Even coming from a quote unquote interesting kind of bougie background mm -hmm. in Compton. Like that's a story mm -hmm. where your father is a doctor, but mm -hmm. you live in Compton and mm -hmm. your mother, all of her friends move away at some point. And what does that mean when mm -hmm. people think that you're a certain way? But you know, it's just right. like all these dualities. She got that good hair too. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm just, well, well, I'm just, just adding you know, all it all of, up. All of those different dualities <laughs> and everything, that actually is what makes my stories. Right. So, well, let, me, see, let me ask you a question, because this, this is interesting to a degree. It's kind of like, um, so when you had a partnership, yeah, you have to find stories that you both intersect with. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. true. And that, to me, became... A shackle mm. because okay so you did have a, you wrote oh a yeah partnership. i wrote oh, my okay. brother i wrote and directed with my yeah. brother they were oh, they were the Derek time. brothers for a long time and they were pretty popular so they had oh, a lot of shit going and, okay. and Sorry, that wasn't it's okay no and so i mean so because i i you know that happened to me you know like if, i don't know like like i was a, a big showrunner at scene you know, he was, I was introducing him at a dinner, and he was like, what do you do? And I was like, well, I have direct stuff. And he goes, send me your reel. And I sent it to him, and he was like, this is awesome. You should be directing television. Mm -hmm. And then he like sent it around to like a couple people, like at Lionsgate and at Showtime, where he had some deals, and he was getting ready to do a show. And they gave him pushbacks, and they were saying, okay, but the reel says the Derek brothers, but you're just pushing Chris Derek. Yeah. Who does what on that team? Wow, you know, and, yeah. and, and, and to me, at that point, I was like, and, and, and he was like, so you got to show them what you can do. So the same thing that you're saying is, I was like, oh, I don't have director projects that I've done solo, right. you know, and I was like, so, and you know, so this. How was, long did that take for you to start building? A, I mean, did it take several years after was it two you or three? directing with your brother? 
Well, it's like I stopped directing with him in three years ago, four years ago, two thousand eighteen. You know, oh okay, and you know, and and then the first, and then I was trying to do a project. I was trying to do this one project, like you know, I was writing. See, I had to write, I had to write all this new stuff, like features and TV stuff. So I spent all the time doing that, and and I and I couldn't find a directing project that I could do for. A, a, a budget, you oh, know, okay. so something contained, like, so, something something, to, you know, like what? What am I going to going to do? You know, and so this one thing came up, and we did that, and then that kind of like fell apart, and it just was like, um, and so then we did this thing, the ticker project, you know, and it just this thing that what, what one of our friends asked me to do, and I was like, oh, I, you know, and and it's like it was so low budget, but it was like I jumped on it because I was like, I don't get to do anything. I was like, if I don't do this. That I don't have anything still, mm-hmm. and it'd be another. And then right, we wrapped like in November of 20, 2019. Oh, wow! And then it was like, uh, uh, okay, so now like nothing to do during the whole pandemic and all this kind of crazy stuff. So, but I ask you because it's like the one thing that that always struck me was in a partnership is you have to find material that you both gravitate to, and that might be a smaller subsection of what is interesting to you. That yeah. you know, and there might you know, it might be twenty percent interest is what you know in terms of like you know like yeah. that Venn diagram, and therefore when you get to write on your own now, you get to like tap into everything about your life that you <clears throat> find interesting or that you're experiencing now that you did experience it, yeah. and and that to me I think is what is is I think the 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 excitement that I have for you about what you can create now because yeah. it's like I can explore anything that I, that I want to do, you yeah. know. And and you can find the stories that that are that you know that that mean something to you. And that's why I always say to people, um, well, at least, and this is something saying to myself, like, I think that people should be careful being in a partnership that's like a marriage, where you think, because you get labeled as the Derek brothers, and like when I was with my former writing partner, we were labeled, labeled as Kim and Camille. People would just know Kim and Camille, mm-hmm. Kim and Camille. And as I mentioned to you, and I think that's fast, I didn't know that part, but like the um, the Hudlin brothers and also the Hughes brothers yep. were kind of coming out around the time that we were coming out. And so, and we know that the Hughes brothers no longer work together yep. and the Hudlin brothers, you know, what have you. So it is weird, but I think that people should think of a partnership as not like maybe you have to do everything together. And sometimes people may not think of that when they're first coming out and something is working for you, like a certain branding is working for you. But I really learned that. And I think that having someone's own writing sample or writing samples and really knowing what your voice is, like if I could have told my 20 year old self, Mm -hmm. really know what your voice is, have your own writing samples, even though you write with a partner and don't think of it as everything we do, we have to do together. It's we a, possibly would have still been collaborating had we not had that pressure. Yes, we, you know, <clears throat> hey, let's collaborate on this, but then like this, we're not collaborating on. You know, that's that's exactly my. I was telling you about Pamela earlier. That's exactly the, the way our relationship is. Mm-hmm. We've been writing eight years together and nine years wow. together, and I still have five or six projects that I have by myself. She mm-hmm. has four, five, six projects by herself. Right. But what we do is, <clears throat> we still have our hands in everything. So mm-hmm. I'll pass it to her and she'll read it and like give me some notes or whatever. Mm-hmm. And she has something, you know, if she doesn't have time, I'll actually do a pass on it for her or whatever. Yeah. So there's like things that we do. So we're still involved, even though yeah. it's just them. You I know think what that's I mean? more healthy. And, and eventually, like if, if, if I can't bring her into produce, I'll try to get her to cast the thing. You know, yeah. so there's like little things that we do. If she 
you know, if she has a project she's doing, she's trying to bring me on to help her produce it, you know, because she knows I know how to run the set. Yeah. So that's not her thing. You know, mm-hmm. her thing is all this other stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that that thing is something that we found. So every time we have a meeting with a general, with a new, you know, uh, studio executive, whatever, we always tell them, oh, yeah, we write together and sometimes we write separately. We actually say it. Yeah. Well, see, it's yeah. interesting because <clears throat> what this industry... I think the pro. This is the kind of the problem is with right is this. I don't know of many success stories post partnership, right? Okay, so yes, the Hughes brothers. Like I think it was Alan who did the Defiant ones after you know they broke up, and the next thing he does is a documentary, right? right? I think he did it. He did one movie before that thing with um, uh, Russell Crowe and Mark Wahlberg, some like oh, some yeah. weird corruption city thing that didn't do well. And it's like, you know, but, and, and and then the other brother hasn't done anything. And it's like, you know, and, and these brothers or sister teams, whenever they do stuff, it's like they... Except the Coens. Maybe except for them, yeah. see? Yeah. So so it's kind of like they, there's a, I think there's a pressure on the industry of like what you were saying before. It's like, like who are the people who have survived a partnership that's that's exploded? You know, and also, and 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 also, like, why did it explode? Mm-hmm. You know, like that's not something that's explored in the 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 like the modeling of this yeah. industry. You know, because yeah. you hear about. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I remember, I remember one time. You know, like we, I remember we had a meeting at CAA one time. The guy was like, "Who do you see your career like?" You know, like the the the, and we were like, "What do you mean by that?" He was again not prepared. It's like, yeah. well, okay, you got to like kind of know mm-hmm. how they can then like what's the trajectory, you yeah. know? And then the thing that 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 really kind of sit me off is like, oh, we just kind of fucked this meeting up. Is my brother and I had like different responses, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. And you know, it was like he wants to do this thing, and I want to do this thing, and I and then you know, to me, I thought at the time I was like, well, it's cool because that, that means we can go a lot of places. Mm-hmm. But it, but it wasn't. I I, I realized in, in retrospect that the agent was like, we well, guys. Really know what you want to do because you don't have like like a singular vision that yeah. will take you someplace. But I mean, but that goes back to what you said about like your vision isn't singular because you're two different individuals, and it's very rare that you can see something like the Cohen brothers. Like even when you look at the Hudlin brothers, like you know Reginald has gone on to do mm-hmm. all of these amazing things, and Warrington. I don't know if he operates in the nonprofit space or what he's doing, but. Um, but it, it's really difficult, you know. Um, so yeah, I don't really know. It feels like when the Beatles break up or when like uh, <laughs> no, Destiny's Child breaks no, up, but, 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 like but, it's no longer. De- but you know. But see, I, th- I, th- I, but I think, but I think the difference. This is the thing with the Cohen brothers. They have a a unique situation that is unlike most of these other teams. Mm-hmm. From what I've been able to see about their thing is that they write the scripts together. Right. Joel produces and Ethan directs. There you go. You wow. know, and or maybe it's the other way around. Maybe it's Joel, whatever. But but, right. but but one produces and one directs. So they're yeah. not so they're not really they're not they're not in each other's space all of a sudden. Now, granted, if I'm producing the movie mm-hmm. and I've co-wrote it with you, well, then I'm on set and I can talk to you in your yep. ear about something. Yeah. Here, but I'm not going to be like interfering with how you were planning right. to shoot this thing. Yeah. And, it's like, and yes, they story, probably storyboard all together and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But it's really one guy who, who they've decided, you know what, you execute everything on set and I'll be, be, be making sure that you can do all that. Yeah. You yeah. know, And then if there's any problem, 
there's there's no one closer to you who, who you can tell something with, and we can be right. so honest with yeah. each other. But that's but but that's not what that's not usually usually not what happens, right? Yeah. You know? If you're both co-directors or what have you, I think there's a novelty about it, mm-hmm. which makes it attractional because mm-hmm. we also know that another aspect of this industry is branding and marketing. Yep. So to be able to brand the Derek brothers or the <clears throat> Hudlin brothers mm-hmm. or the Hughes brothers, yeah, or we're the Cohen we're brothers called or, mental duet. So oh yeah. really? Mm-hmm. That's so cute. Yeah. That is attractional. But then when it comes down to having two co-directors, how does that work with working with the actors, mm-hmm. you know, what have you. But if it's supplementary and complementary, that can be a better model. If Agreed. one person is directing and one person is producing or what have you. <clears throat> yeah. So I think that, yeah. So let's get to how you came to the Clark Sisters. How did that project yeah. come about? So I mentioned that everything happens at a party. No. Yes. <laughs> Um, no, a friend of mine, Sarah Finney Johnson, mm-hmm. who's a good friend, who was the showrunner on Moesha and the Parkers. One of the first. One of the most amazing <clears throat> yeah. dynamic showrunners and TV writers. We had become friends and she came to me in 2005. Mm-hmm. And she was approached by a producer, Holly Carter, with an idea to do a biopic about the Clark sisters. And Sarah hadn't written a feature, and she knew that I was a feature writer, and I was kind of working with her, giving her some vibes on some feature scripts she was writing. Mm-hmm. And so she asked me to do it with her. And we wrote a treatment, and we you know, did our pitch doc, and we went out and pitched it. And we pitched it several times, and it didn't end up selling. Mm-hmm. And every <clears throat> few years, another like TV one or somebody would come back, or some network or what have you. Oh, what about that Clark Sisters? Uh, biopic um, but it wouldn't nothing would happen mm-hmm. um, even and we talk about casting at, at one point um, we were like oh Fantasia can play this role or what <laughs> you know like right. showing how she things change yeah, over time yeah, yeah for sure um, and then the Clark sisters performed on Queen Latifah's show for her birthday because right. she loves them she came on board Queen Latifah's company hired me to write the script and I wrote several drafts and they were really happy with it. And they went to a few networks and Lifetime put the strongest bid mm-hmm. and then Lifetime bought it. And then when Lifetime bought it, they wanted to rewrite and they had a writer that they wanted to work with, mm-hmm. Sylvia Jones, who's an amazing sister as well. Um, and she did a few subsequent drafts and <clears throat> yeah. And then they got the director on board and before you know it, it was in it was in production in Toronto. So once it sold to Lifetime, I wasn't on the project. I didn't do those subsequent drafts, but I did the drafts with Queen Latifah's company right. that sold the script. Right. Yeah. You've been down that road. <laughs> that bullshit. Happened. Yeah. I mean, but, you know, <clears throat> hey, that's that's life. Well, it's um, Hollywood. Yeah, but, but you know what? I've, I've read, there was a tweet that Eric Heiser said just about three years ago, two or three years ago. I remember this. And he was like, if you're doing anything like like if, if you're creating something wholesale like mm-hmm. that you know there's no i mean yes there's ip but there's no like anything like that mm-hmm. you need to stay on as a producer as a writer yep. because you know because it's it's more your job than anything to protect the story and everybody else might not know how to protect their story right they have mm-hmm. they have other agendas um everything like that and so to me it's like after I read that, I was like, I was like, how does, how does he? It was, it's, it's one thing for him to say that when he's like doing, because he said he needed to do that on Arrival. When he mm-hmm. did Arrival, mm-hmm. he was like, you know what? 
they're going to fuck this up mm. unless I get on as a producer and make sure that it goes the way that it is. Yeah. And, you know, that movie, what, he got an Academy Award nomination mm-hmm. out of it. And it was, I mean, you know, I mean, he's he'd done a lot of stuff before. He'd written yeah. directed that movie the hours before. But I feel like it's one of the I'm things. Say he won a Writer's Guild Award. He did tell yeah, it. Yeah, it's one of those things where you, <laughs> there's no reason why you shouldn't be a producer on a project that, 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 that you are the originator for. Yeah, you, you brought, it's like you bringing the elements. Yeah. You know yeah. I mean? yeah. But I do think like, I'm super grateful because I believe that the success of that project has put me in the position yeah. to for sure. negotiate that on the next one. Right. And, and for me, it's interesting that for someone like me to have been around in this industry for a long time, to have done ghost writing, mm-hmm. to have done script doctoring and so forth like that than to have like a full circle moment like right. that and right. to get kind of a I, I call it like a part two of my career right. so you know and that's what goes back to the endurance game and maybe not really knowing like mm-hmm. when your time is going to come to shine but being ready you and, know and i talk it. chris and i talk about that a lot about you know you know i'm i'll be 51 in september mm-hmm. <clears throat> chris is 23 um, <laughs> he He's a vampire a baby. Too. Okay, see, we in the same, you know. <laughs> and um, but I don't. Ha- I used to regret that, you know. How come when I was thirty, blah yeah. blah blah blah. But yeah. as I got older and I have more experiences, <clears throat> and I know what I know now, right? I'm so much more prepared for right. all these projects and things that I have. So when when I sign a deal with a, an executive producer to create a show for them. They're writing my deal as EP. You yeah, know what I mean. Absolutely, and yeah. so, and so, those are the things that I'm doing. Will that guarantee me that when we sell it to the to the network? Probably not. But mm-hmm. I'm coming in with that, and yeah. it's showing that that producer believed in me for that. And yeah. he's a big producer, or she's a big producer. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, so I'm walking in the door with that. So at least that is part of our agreement. So they go, oh, that person agreed to that. We probably have to. Obey, abide by this, or we're going to have to go back and forth. You know, mm-hmm. it at least yeah, gives well, you something. Well, yeah. See, it's <clears throat> like the th- here's the thing that I, you know, I, yeah, I have my whole thing about. So, like, what are the things in life that really make you an adult? You know, and part of those things is like going to court, right? <laughs> um, and um, <laughs> you know, you, you haven't really lived till you've been to court, right? You, there's a few things, few things. That's just one of them. But you have to do all of them. One of those. But the thing is about my whole point is is that. When you're young in the game, you don't know about the contracts. Right. And the more you go through, you start seeing what, you know, this, you said earlier, it's the chess game, the politics. Yeah. What are you going to like? Okay. So, like, you know what? I want this title and I want this money. But in reality, I could like take less money, but keep the title. You know, but that's something that you know, and that's something that if you know you want that title, then you got to go in with you know just like there's these other laundry lists of stuff that you know yeah. that you know you that you know you won't take. Mm-hmm. You know, but if you come in high, the whole thing is about is come in really really high, but like you know like, like you can't come in you can't come yeah. in like you can't come in like obnoxiously high, yeah. but you come into that right level that that if you've been in it for a while you kind of know because like you know I mean like 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 one of the things that happened to me was. I met a guy at a party um, who uh, who eventually became the head of business affairs at Lionsgate, oh, okay. right? Mm-hmm. And he's one of those guys where I was like, "Hey, this deal's happening. Can you uh, uh, so can you give me some counsel 
So when I go back against the other side, what are, you know, like 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 what are they gonna like 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 budge on? He's like, well, they're probably gonna budge on this, this, and this. So if you are able to, you're like, he would help me strategize that. That's not something that you're gonna know in your first three or four deals because you're not gonna know right. someone who's that high up who 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 understands the agenda of the studio, right. you know. And that's the thing that. Um, you know that that it might be a question if you know like being black like you know like who do you get as your attorneys and things like that i was gonna say my uh attorney not my current attorney but the attorney that i had before this he made me read my contracts you sure yeah he made me Mm -hmm. read it he said i'm gonna help you to understand this he's like i because and he said and he's black he said i want black artists to understand what they're signing and what they're asking yep. for so he's like so i teach my clients how to read the contract yeah, i so, go through my contracts sorry to interrupt you i no. go through my contracts first redline it and then send it to my attorney and go here are my questions that i'm concerned with <laughs> let me know the other things you think about yeah <laughs> you yeah, know absolutely. what i mean yeah yeah, yeah. well yeah it. because see, the thing about that is is that you're if you understand the contract you know what is works for you and what doesn't. Your attorney mm-hmm. doesn't know that. Your attorney knows, well, this is like, you know, like, this is what I think people should get and right. you should be cool with. Right. You know, but there's something else that you might, I, I was, like, I was telling you, it was a friend of mine, it was a friend of ours. She got, a, she was a staff writer. She got a chance to pitch it. She sold a show to HBO with a big time showrunner attached. And she kept telling me that my whole thing was, I want to have, a title card as part of my deal and I will take less money so that so that I get the title card mm-hmm. and she was like and, and if they bring me they kind of bumped me off of EP to co-EP she was I was all these things and I was like I was like why is that she was like because how many black women have a title card at the end of a thing and if mm-hmm. I can do that and show that then it just sets the precedence of this is you, you better give you're gonna give us this so she wanted the created by title card no no yeah, or when, the EP? At, well no 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 she has that thing that says you know at the you know, you know the end of the, oh, thi- the very at end. the very um um the vanity the the vanity production company thing oh. like she was like yeah I want that because you know bad robot yep. Psh, psh, yep. all these kind of things like she wanted that. You know, because at the end, because think about that, because you... Yeah, those are on the poster, too. On the, the poster, bedroom, all yeah. that stuff, because you as the mm-hmm. viewer, if, if you're into a show, you see that all the time, yep. mm-hmm. you know, and you and if it's like, hey, oh, who's... And then you look up stuff, who, who's behind that, who's yep. behind that? Oh, black yep. women did that. Yep. But if you're, but if you don't have that, and and you could be co-creator, creator, EP, all this kind of stuff, you don't have that, then it, when it's over... It's just it's a subliminal thing, you know, mm-hmm. that the audience gets, and also it's like, and and then in the future, anyone else black can say, well, so and so got it, so you better give it to me too, you this know. Is, this is <laughs> yeah. something we're talking about a lot, Camille, <clears throat> on the Black Committee and with like some of these other, you know, Chris and I and some other, you know, private groups and shit, where we're we're trying to like say say you sign a deal with somebody to be co EP on something, mm-hmm. you should be able to call fucking. You know, Amy and Obi as an example, and be like, Amy, girl, can I ask you a question? Be like, sure, but like, what did what was your quote when you got co-EP on Insecure, right? And they should be able to tell you, here's what I got, mm-hmm. so that you can go back and go, okay, look, I know that the quote is this. You guys are offering me another twenty grand less or whatever, so that you can fight that because we can't, we can only prove the basics. Right, we can only prove the minimum. Yeah, the, the minimum. Sorry, yeah. the, min- the minimum base is what I meant. Uh, we can only prove that, 
But if, if you wanted to get more, mm-hmm. you could say, look, I have proof that this is how this works yeah. because of blah, 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 blah. So we're trying to have that discussion now where we're open about what people are making and how much and et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So that it gives you power to, so yeah. that you can get more. Because that's what the white people are doing. Yeah. You know, trust me, they're calling each other up and they're doing shit and they're going, I'm not taking that. Well, yeah, because, well, <laughs> yeah, because yeah, you remember last year there was that, or maybe earlier this year there was that thing that came out like, here's like the, like the median and the mm-hmm. average and the high and the low of right. what TV pilots and stuff like that. I mean, I mean, there's someone got a million dollars worth a TV pilot. And I was yeah. like, who's that? Yeah. <laughs> and top of that, what pilot was that? And top yeah. of that, did it, did it go to series? Crazy. Because if it didn't go to series, I'm just like, you just dropped a million dollars a million on a script that didn't go to series? Goddamn. Where's my deal like that? It's <laughs> uh, wild. It's wild. So let's, let's talk about the Clark sisters. Um, and um, um, So I watched it again yesterday, um, the movie. the, And I, I was telling you off off. off I would say offline. Uh, what is this? Off what? Off mic. Off mic. Same thing. Um, I was telling you off mic about, and I know you didn't have much to do with this part of it, but but the origins of how this all came together. Here's here's one of the things that I like the most. So, as I told you, I just got a new um, deal for my Sylvester script. Mm-hmm. And one of the things we were talking about, Pamela and I, with the producers were, I want to redo the soundtrack. I want to yeah. do. I want to do what they did, which I felt like they did in your movie. Yeah. Is if they're singing, they're fucking singing. I hate yeah. when they lip sync everything. Yeah. It drives me. But I know you have to because of the constant, you know, repetition of the Takes, way you shoot, yeah. and you want the sound that's right and all that shit like that. But that's one of the things I loved about your movie is I never saw lip sync anywhere. Everybody, yeah. looked, you could see the vocals moving. It looked like they were singing live every time you usually hear the soundtrack come on it's like they're in a room where'd the music come from <laughs> you know what i mean it should be you cold can tell it's just when the person's not really singing it but i just want to give some shine to the a black female director yes. christine swanson yeah she said um, she'd connect us so we can have her on the show she's awesome yeah definitely. it's directed she, well she's, she's extremely dope i mean christine is just phenomenally talent mm-hmm. you know she went to nyu went to tish but it's not necessarily a matter of where you went to school. She's mm-hmm. just talented, right. you know, and she has a real vision and a voice as a director. Right. And there were certain things that she pushed for and she wanted real singers. And it's, you could, you know, you can, it's kind of like, it's a gamble, mm-hmm. right? Because you could get real singers who can't act, Boom. right? Because right. we've sometimes <clears throat> seen that maybe right. where, you know, they come from a singing background, but mm-hmm. they may not really have the chops. But um, but then you can get actors who don't sing. Yep. And then when you're doing the singing, it's just not as authentic, especially yep. for like the Clark sisters because of the runs, mm-hmm. the, um, the, the, the harmonies, the everything. harmonies mm-hmm. and the um, what they call them, the, the growls and the trills mm-hmm. that are so <laughs> unique to them, right. like someone like a Twinkie mm-hmm. and even Karen, those high notes and what have you. So to get her daughter to care to, to play Karen, who mm-hmm. has a phenomenal voice as well, to get um, you know some of these sisters that came, like one of them was uh, she Sh- done shout out to Twinkie Bird who who casted by oh, the way. Oh really? She did. Yeah, she did, okay. he did yeah. the casting. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So, but what what's really interesting is that Christine was the one who said we have to cast, mm. we have to cast um, vocalists right. who I know. She said I can tell that I can work with them. So mm-hmm. in other words, it was also her eye of like who I can work with right. that also can have the acting chops. Yeah. Well, here's the thing that's interesting. I think about singers 
performers. I, I, it's interesting who you could get because what I've noticed with certain, like certain big singers who then try to segue into the movies, mm-hmm. is that they had to develop a persona to be the successful star, right? And that persona has to be shed to take on the persona of the character they're playing. they're playing. And that, I think, is a little harder for them to do because it means, yeah. like, I got to be me mm-hmm. and, and and figure out something else that I've done. But everyone's coming to see, you know, let's just say Beyonce. They're mm-hmm. not coming to, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So this, I think it's interesting. I think it's interesting your director is able to, like, discern that. Like, oh, it's, I, I, I mean, I'm sure these... I'm I'm curious if she's like oh these people can really fucking sing and their their acting is at this level where I can work with them but if they're not like megastars a bitch is easier it's yeah. easier if they're not megastars because yeah. it's not distracting for everybody being like that's Beyonce that's what's mm-hmm. Beyonce gonna do you know mm-hmm. so I I agree with that and also I think what it shows is because the Clark sisters debuted to 2.7 million and then it's had like over 13 million viewers mm-hmm. to date it also shows that you don't have to have mega stars for it to capture an yeah. audience. I think Ingenue Ellis, who played the mother, uh, Dr. Maddie Moss Clark, her. she's the most known and she should have got an Emmy for this. I'm sorry, she should have at least been nominated for a yes, fucking Emmy. Yes, she should have been nominated for yes. an Emmy. She should have. <clears throat> but um, playing the mother and her being the most seasoned actor, yeah. and one thing that Christine tells me, um, because we did we've done a number of panels together, but mm-hmm. also have become um, have become good friends since then is that uh, both she and Ingenue, she felt like she came on set and she was like, she's fearless. Mm. And she's like, I'm a fearless director. She's a fearless actor. Let's go. Let's play. And she loved that because when you have somebody who's fearless, you can really push it there. Mm -hmm. And if you see how she embodied the mother... She really pushed it there. She really went. She and, really, really embodied. And that's one of the things that I liked. You you were saying earlier she wanted to get, you know, characters who could who could actually sing and whatever. You could tell she's playing that fucking keys too. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, there yeah. ain't no let's cut and she's doing this doing and then fingers, we cut back yeah. and we see the fingers. No bitch, you watching her do this. Okay, but here's the thing about Angela Ellis is that I would wager that she's the the see the type of actress that she is. She's probably so generous that she's helping the other actors. Oh, you know, helping Absolutely. them. Like, mm-hmm. hey, let's run the lines like between yeah. takes. Let's, mm-hmm. let's do this. Let's do this. Let's do this. Because it's like she knows. I'm only gonna be as good as what you give me. Yeah. So I gotta get you up. I I yeah. I gotta get you up, and if you're yeah. and, and and if you're not like a novice, yeah. then someone like her is 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 she's got enough gravitas among black people yeah. to say, oh, she, I'm gonna listen to her, but she's telling me, to <laughs> mm-hmm. you know. So mm-hmm. you get in there, we do the scene, and it's like, hey, 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 like, push it, push it, you know. It's like remember the thing that Jay Moore was telling us about yeah. Tom Cruise is like, yeah. like you know, I I guarantee you she's doing shit like that because so he was. Let me tell you the story. So in essence. We were talking about we, we interviewed Jay Moore, he's a friend of mine, about um, when he played the role in, in um, Jerry Maguire, Jerry Maguire, mm. working with Tom Cruise. Yeah, and he said Tom Cruise is the the one star that does this one thing. So a lot of times superstars would be like, so we've shot my close up. Mm-hmm. I'm the star, and I'm yeah. like, bring in my bring in the stand in, <laughs> right? Yeah, bye. to do it. Yeah, 
He's the one that's like, oh, no, 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 no. This is my movie. <laughs> yeah. My face is on this. I'm doing it. I want you to, I want to give, give me back what I gave you. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So he's literally like doing the whole thing. But you tell him the rest of that. Right, story. right. So, yeah. So, so the shooting the scene and the, the, the scene is on Jay Moore and Tom, you know, shooting, shooting over his shoulder. And off camera, Tom Cruise is like pointing like step to the left a little bit, step to the left a little bit. So that, so that it, it favors you a little more wow. in this, like during the takes. Mm. So he's, cause he's like, I want this to be good. Yeah. And it's only, and, and the thing that, 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 that filmmakers know is the reaction shot is, what makes you cry mm-hmm. is what makes you yeah. feel something because because mm-hmm. because when you think you know you like you watch a movie mm-hmm. and that moment that you like feel that thing it's usually never when someone's talking it's usually right. when you cut to someone right. who's heard it right. you know right. yeah. so to do that right that the, you know if I, if I'm if Tom Cruise has to give that energy to you mm-hmm. is if not then you're just kind of like yeah I'm here I mean it could be good if you're really good but it's better if you're both doing it yeah. and it's like that's what he was doing you know and 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 really smart actors actresses know I got to give it I yeah. got to give it and when you see the Clark sisters, mm-hmm. and I'm sure you saw that, Hilliard, like when you saw whenever Anjini was in a scene and she's playing it with that person. You really it's hard to be in a scene with her. Energy. She is and, a scene still of No, she but is. I mean, but uh, the scene with um, <clears throat> where Denise, the sister, like mm-hmm. leaves the group, like yes. that scene is super yes. powerful. Yes. When Twinkie bought, used her, sold her catalog to yes. buy that Lincoln <laughs> Continental to buy the car. I mean, there's some there's some really powerful scenes in there. And what was really flattering, just with the whole go thing, see it on Amazon Prime, y'all. It's yeah, out there. It's on Amazon. <laughs> yes. I think you can rent it for mm-hmm. three ninety nine yep. and buy it for whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, I bought it, of course. Um, and I, have I go. Do you get any ends if we buy it? And tell <laughs> yep, them to tell them to buy I'm it. my check. Tell them to buy it. Um, but. Um, there, what was the flattering thing was that you know, like there were memes, mm-hmm. and there was a little girl who reenacted all of the scenes. Oh, really? Long, cute, young cute. little black girl, little cute little sister on TikTok or something like that. Um, she was doing it, I think, on YouTube and Facebook, mm-hmm. but people were sending it to me and everything, and she reenacted a lot of. Oh, I did see some of those. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yes, that was that was so flattering, mm-hmm. you know. And I think that that young that little girl wants to be an actress, but. She was inspired by mm. the Dr. Maddie Moss yes. Clark, played yes. by Anjanou Ellis, and so uh, I, I, I want you know, it, awards aren't everything, but Anjanou is due, and she's going to be doing other great material. Anjanou so to me is her, Angela Bassett in like the, the was the late '90s, early 2000s, whenever when she was like, pfft. I mean, she's still working and big and all that, but when. She was in everything. It seemed like yeah, I think when yeah. she came out of what's love got to do with it, and it was yeah. like, wow, yeah. like she has that. I give her two or three years. She's gonna. I mean, because I mean, she's gonna she's, win. Because I'm thinking, I'm like, what can I write for Anjou? Yeah, because <laughs> like the last thing, I guess, last thing I remember seeing her in that I was like, whoa, was when she was in that like third or fourth season of Power, mm-hmm. and she was paying like, uh, I mean, she's paying this mean. I was like, oh, she's dope. I was kind of like. <laughs> You scaring me? <laughs> <laughs> Shit. And I, you know, and I, you know, was, was mm-hmm. she in? She was in Dreamgirls, wasn't she in Dreamgirls? Uh, not Dreamgirls. No, 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 she was in Dreamgirls. She was in something. She was in. No, she was in something else. Where so, some of the big. I mean, look, I've seen mm-hmm. her in stuff where she's not that yeah. mean right. person. Where right. she's like a very kind of like, hey, mm-hmm. you know, like a like a. 
just like a happy woman. Mm-hmm. She has, she has, does have. In her range, I was like, wow. I was like, wow. You know, yeah. it's like it's interesting to see what she can do. She was in Lovecraft. She plays a sweeter yeah. character. Yes, in yes, 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 yeah. yes. She yeah. plays Courtney Vance's husband, wife. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She's so good. Yeah. Yeah. I love her, yeah. um, but I love the movie. I mean, I just thought it was amazing. I was telling you, and this was this was no 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 cut on 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 Lifetime, but their movies are usually more soft for me. Let's be real. And Lifetime, <clears throat> their biopics, they've made some biopics that right. haven't haven't no. found an audience. I mean, but I think they're they usually really low budget yeah. looking. Yours looks like a movie that could have been in the theaters. Yeah. Now I tell you, trust me. It looks like, but, but it the, looks the good. thing is, is though they've had a good run at doing these black entertainer biopics because mm-hmm. Abdul Williams yep. did like the new edition one right. and they the Bobby had, Brown. No, the new edition that was BET. Oh right, yes, right, right. It's but, the, he it's, but he did Salt and Pepper, Pepper on Lifetime because after the success. Yes. So let's say in the last yes. few years, yes. maybe there's been a different mindset. So you had, and just, I actually think we were the first one because it was after the Clark sisters that they did some pepper, pepper, pepper right? Okay, right. That oh, that's Wendy right, Williams that's right, 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 right. right. Came, that Darren Grant um, mm-hmm. directed. Right. Yeah. So then, and I think I didn't get to see the Mahalia Jackson one, but I know that that one I think it dropped. I didn't on know Easter. there was a Mahalia Jackson. Yeah. I know I, Robin Roberts. Uh, there's three Mahalia Jackson projects, but mm-hmm. Robin Roberts was the EP on that one. But okay. um, so yeah. But before that, I guess the Aaliyah one, I mean, a lot of theirs have gotten panned. Right. Aaliyah, what was the other one? I think it was Whitney. The well, Whitney the TLC Whitney. one was, was so the not TLC. so good because they couldn't even use the music or something. You don't do, that's one thing I love about yours. They had damn near every hit, had all every, the every yeah. single one. And that's the difference in a biopic. <laughs> right. Um, and this is to me, like if you're doing a biopic and you don't have the blessing of the, the, family the trust, the family, trust, the what have you, you're in trouble. Then... You gotta ask yourself. Yeah. They shouldn't you do know. it. Yeah. Well, it, or some. You know what? I I I know that um, a guy like what's his name, Ron Shelton. I used to know the guy. He was his like worked with him. He's been years, oh the director, yeah, director Ron mm-hmm. Shelton. Done anything forever. Mm-hmm. Um, he was trying to do the Bob Marley story for a long, no. long time, and he had he had Damien like sign off on the script. Really, the problem was because Tina Andrews had written a script the, the, like the, twenty years ago. Yeah, or but the problem with the Bob Marley story is Universal owns half the catalog, and then like Warner Brothers owns <clears throat> like half the catalog. Uh, so it's like they, it's like it's like they think those two studios to want to give up the rights mm. to the music, and they're mm-hmm. like, what songs are going to be the biggest? And all this kind of craziness. So it's like that's why they haven't been able to get the music for that. You well, know? We're, we're we were just discussing this with Sylvester like two weeks ago okay, with these producers. Yeah. Because there's, before he started making his own music, he did a bunch of other music. So if you if you read the script, it's just a bunch of other hits that he's singing, like at yeah. different shows and whatever. So getting those rights is one other thing, right? But once he became a star and started making music, you know, I don't think he wrote a lot of his own songs is one other problem. Mm. So what we were trying to do, just for people out there listening, <clears throat> one of the suggestions we had for the producers, because Pamela's already negotiated with them before mm-hmm. about, you know, in discussion, is here are the songs we need. But they want to get the whole fucking catalog. And we're like, why buy the whole catalog when all we need are these songs? Yeah. You know what I mean? And... Their their thing is is they want to really make sure that nobody can 
fuck with what we're doing here. So if they own it all, then nobody could do it at all. all and right. I get that to an extent, but I'm oh. also like, why spend more money when all you need are these 12 songs or whatever the fuck it is? You know what yeah. I mean? I, I think it's a little... I mean, I'm saying it here. I don't give a fuck. I think it's a little backwards, but, you know, they have their well, own but the Well, th- but I think the theory on that would be <clears throat> that if we get beat to the market and we've put, any, exactly and, said, and if we put any money in, all that money is burned. Right. And, and if we, and this, it's kind of like an insurance policy for right. them. Like they're paying a, like a premium. Right. To hold it. To hold it. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's just sense. like the fact that there was the two Aretha Franklin projects. Right. And I'm not sure what they did with the music clearances on that. Well, they definitely, well, the, the, the series definitely had all the music in there for sure. Okay. So they definitely got the clearances and the rights and the, yeah. it was based but on I'm the book. Sure, and I think the feature is the one that had the family. Oh, did it? Blessing or whatever. Oh, that's and right, because they had trouble. Respect. That's so right, they I'm had trouble. I'm thinking that they have respect in <clears throat> right. there for sure. I mean, right. I'm, I'm not sure if the oh, feature... There's, there's a feature. Who's in the feature? Why do I know? The, the oh, feature is yeah. Jennifer Hudson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And the TV series with, is with Cynthia Erivo. Right. right. I thought it was amazing. Oh, uh, yeah, I haven't seen it. Yeah, Anthony amazing. did a good job. Yeah. Anthony Hemingway. Yeah, yeah. Um, of course, Courtney killed it again, you know. <laughs> Maybe that'll be playing. Um, awesome. So I saw you. You were working on um, last year. You posted a, a thing about that 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 sports film you were going to sports show you were going to do mm-hmm. about the first black. You know, you NFL do one football. biopic and people come to you with other biopics. <laughs> so yes, um, <clears throat> yes. So I'm co-writing actually a biopic about Wally Triplett, yep. who in the 1940s played on the Penn State football team Mm -hmm. and he and Denny Hogard integrated the Cotton Bowl in 1948. So what I think is interesting about that and and you having written biopics is obviously now because we're in a season of a lot of biopics and because of the streamers, there's all these outlets for them to air on, uh, just not doing the same old cradle to grave story which you know you can't really do in two hours anyway and if you try it it's probably going to be problematic Mm -hmm. but what what part of that person because we know that obviously for many figures if we're doing a biopic about them they have some full life and they have all of these different accomplishments that they've had at different because wally triplett also played um he was the first african-american drafted in and to play in the nfl Mm -hmm. and he played for the detroit lions so there you go (laughs) but so that's a whole different part of his life you know aside from what happened at penn state at penn state supposedly and this is folklore and some people will get all twisted about this Mm -hmm. but the saying we are penn state comes from when miami said um in the 40s you can come play, but you have to leave your two colored players, <laughs> like they said in those yep. days, home. And they said, <laughs> we all come or we don't come. We are Penn State, supposedly, right. and maybe that's not true. But, but it's, a great, it's a great it's a great, trailer moment, though. Okay, but it's see, a- that's what I want to ask you about. The thing about writing biopics, because I've written one, I might do another one. I always feel like you have to tell... You're not telling history, right? 
Because you're telling a story. Right. You're telling a, a story. story. Exactly. So, and it's inspired so, by the story. Yeah, it's inspired yes. by. So, so the. Because nobody wants. If they want to watch history, yeah. they'll either watch the documentary or they'll read it. But even documentary is like still kind of like. It's, it's maybe more realistic than a book. Right. I mean, than a movie, but it's still like. T- they're not taking liberties, but they're like. They're, they're truncating certain things. And, I, and sure. it's the thing that, that, that. Even in a documentary, I just want to slip this in. You have to create a story. You do. Yep. Even you, in you a documentary, you have to. Got to have a through line. Because mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I, 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 I feel like. I feel like there's. Uh, like those kind of folklore things are things that are always. They are the things that you remember about somebody. Like, for, Absolutely. Okay, for instance, right? You know I'm a big Wells fan, right? So I've seen Citizen Kane. I don't know how many times, right. twenty, three times, right? right? There's a there's a scene in there that I love when you first meet Wells as Kane. Mm-hmm. He mm-hmm. is um, he's having arguing with his benefactor, and he's running the Inquirer. And this guy comes in. And he's talking about Cuba, and he's like, and he's like, and he's like, you know. Um, he makes some line about, you know, you know, like, there's no war in Cuba, he hears from his journalists, and, and he's like, if you provide, you know, the, the prose poems, I'll provide the war in Cuba, right? That's what he says, and he's like, boom, blah, and that's just, it's just a quick line, blah, blah, blah. But that's based on a line that William Randolph Hearst, who he's supposed to be playing, right. actually is supposed to have said, mm-hmm. because he helped start the, the war in Cuba in the, in the, in the by, by, by sending a fake telegram. Mm-hmm. That wow. that says that exact same line, but they were like, but you know what? But, but then this, I heard it on this other podcast called Business Wars, mm-hmm. which was this, which, Wars. which is this thing yes. about uh, um, Hearst versus versus Pulitzer, right? Mm-hmm. And you realize that Pulitzer was trying, listen to this he was trying to tell yeah. this great story. And I was like, oh wait a minute, that's the, I heard it. And I was like, that's the line that Wells said in the movie. I was like, but that's what Hearst said. And it's like, oh shit, that's the lore that he said. Yeah, and and, and the then lore. he and then he said, only thing is. They don't have record of that telegram. They right. just it just became what everybody is known to what he right. said. Yeah. So it's like that. It's makes, in the know. That's what makes these stories interesting because yeah. it's like oh, that's what grabs you. Yeah. You know, like that's we're not, what makes it a feature film. Yeah. You want the lore. You want it to be those. Than and and those life. are the two things that that I'm doing when I'm writing a historical or biopic. Because I've also done Black Wall Street, right? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. so I'm looking like when I'm because when I've got on these rabbit holes. Yeah. That I spend more time. I write the script in a week or two. That's mm-hmm. fine. It's the the research and the whatever because I'm yeah, looking for those little gems where it might have been something in a definition that I read and I'm like, that's a great line of dialogue. Mm-hmm. Actually, that's the end of Act One when somebody says this. Yeah, <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean. It's a statement. No, no, it's, you know what yeah. I mean. It's, it, look, it's exactly right because it's like I'll tell you two things with Orson Welles thing that I wrote. Right. So, so one. There's one book that the actor in there's the the, the guy who played Iago in Orson Welles' Othello because my movie's about right. mm-hmm. just the time he just making that movie right how how that changed his life right um, and Brilliant. and and so what it is is that you know there's, there's all these stories about production blah 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 blah, blah Welles' point of view Welles' point of view but there's a book called Put Money in Thy Purse mm. which is the line that fucking Iago says about like hey you bet on me. Right. And that's the publication of his diary. Of his diary when they're making the movie. Okay. Now he mentions this woman who was this Viennese woman who was Wells's like secretary, aide, blah blah blah, assistant kind of thing like that. Mm-hmm. You know, she's only mentioned in that guy's book. 
And I was like, but that's a great character to mm-hmm. have wow. to play against Wells throughout this whole time because he needs someone. And I said to myself, <clears throat> if, I, if I don't put a woman in there, it's just men running around. Right. You know, mm-hmm. and if I and a, and a woman who's like Viennese and they're all, and he's always like like seeing in the book how he's like complaining about her accent and how like strict she is, I was like, that's the perfect foil for this crazy like artist who's mm-hmm. like going wild. It's like his assistant is trying to is, is trying to keep him in line and cracking the whip. I was like, I I'm putting that in there, putting it in right. there. Um, and then there's a story about the act thing is, mm-hmm. like, I knew this story about how he made the movie and everything like that forever and how the years and how he finished it. But I was like, how did he finish the movie? How did he find the money to finish this movie? Because he was shooting it piecemeal for years and weekends and shit like this. And I heard a story that I don't know if it's true, mm-hmm. but the rumor was that he was in the south of France, the Wells was in the south of France, and he'd been trying to get in touch with Daryl Zanuck, who was who was traveling through Europe, mm. and he and he and he ran across him at this famous hotel in in that's that's in Antibes, mm. and he pitched in the story, and Zenit gave him seventy five thousand dollars in like five different currencies, and said, "Go finish the movie." Mm. Now, who knows if that's true or not? But that's the that's the story. Yeah. It's I, known. It's known. And I said, and, yeah. and I said to myself, "That's the end of the second act." Right. That is the thing that kept me from writing the movie for years, oh. you know. And I was like, oh, because that gives the money, then he can finish the movie and blah blah blah, take it to con. It's just right. everything. I was like, oh, this is a story that's not in any of the books, right. you know. But but it that's makes brilliant. but it makes this movie go, oh shit, mm. you know. Like you end your rope, and then someone who's been avoiding you for a whole movie finally breaks down because you give him the right pitch and give me the money. Money. <laughs> I was I was gonna say so I don't know if I told you this, Chris. <clears throat> so you know, um, uh, Pamela and I we were, we were working on this project for these other producers um, called Gold Dust Trio, and it was about the first um, UCLA football players with the first mm. two two or four actually there were five we found out uh, black football players. One of them was um, Jackie Robinson, mm-hmm. and the other I'm sure you know doing your research, <clears throat> and the other one was. Um, What's the mayor mayor of Tom Bradley Tom Bradley mm-hmm. was Tom Bradley and um, so we were writing this like limited series based on how this mm. this trio came together in 1939 you know and won against USC Tom Bradley the mayor the old mayor yep. he was a f- he, was, he played football, football but he player? was he was only like a like he would come in if somebody needed oh, to. Oh, okay, okay. So yeah. he really wasn't a player, but we use him as another vehicle in the, in the whole story. No, it's interesting. It's, it's yeah, interesting. He brought him together. He introduced him to um, Jackie's wife. But it's, it's, interesting, know, it's, like it's interesting to know why, like how Los Angeles could have got a black mayor. Mm-hmm. It's only because of someone who was like so well known in the right. in the community, you know. Yeah. Like that. yeah, and he was the head of like the black fraternities, and like yeah, yeah, he was yeah, yeah. like the yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. was a police yeah. officer. Right, exactly. Rose to the ranks of yeah, exactly. Um, but what I was, I was just saying with all that. But we, we, we wrote this fucking entire amazing pitch for them, and it all ended up falling apart. You know, with um, you know, one of the producers, you know, and et cetera, et cetera. But, but that stuff is in the ether right now. You know yeah. what I mean? Those type of stories. So when I saw your your story, I went, "Great! Somebody else is doing a great go. It's close. It would have been in the same vein, but it, but still, it's still something different. I'm like, please go yeah. and make this fucking and this show." And this is Penn State, which right. we know Penn State lives, breathes, mm-hmm. bleeds the Nittany Lions. Yeah, the Nittany That's Lions. What That's funny. So yeah, the the producer is an alum of Penn State, and it's it's exciting. One of the hardest things to do, and um, 
it's kind of interesting because I'm co-writing it mm -hmm. with a guy named Craig, Craig Detweiler, who used to be my professor in one of my master's programs. And um, he, uh, he he's a white male, mm -hmm. and uh, he was hired, and he called me, and he was like, I want you to write this with me. So I kind of credit him for, in a way, you know, and I was like, yeah, I'm down um, for, you know, realizing and being like, I want a black woman to co-write this with me. I'm mm -hmm. not even an athlete. Maybe he yeah. needed a black male. I don't know. But but this um, is why we're being brought on right now. Yeah. And, you know, it's the, and the perspective that I brought was how is this relevant today? Exactly. And I was thinking of Colin Kaepernick and mm -hmm. thinking of some of the things that our black athletes are going through today and how some people may not be aware of the early roots of activism in sports. And that, you know, activism has been in sports for a long time. That was possibly one of the few platforms because yeah. it's one area where black men were allowed to excel, right. you know, because <laughs> of the whatever athletic abilities. Yeah. Jack um, Johnson. You know, yeah. So, um, so that was what I really started to look in. And there was um, there's one thing that uh, Craig and I discovered was that the barbershops on Main Street wouldn't cut their hair. And so there's a whole um, there's a whole through line in there about, you know, the whole thing of like we can play and be your stars on the football team. We can't even get our hair cut on yep. Main Street. Yep. Um, but and this is where sometimes truth is stranger than fiction or truth just gives you a gift. They uh, led up to actually having protests. Mm on Main Street about those segregated barbershops yeah. and um, eventually uh, <clears throat> integrating and creating other barbershops where uh, blacks could get their, their hair cut. But that, we made that a big part of the story and not mm. just, because you know, that first, I even had someone who say, you know, if I hear another first black whatever, yeah. you know, I was yeah. like, please don't. You know, so that can that can get a little worn out too. Yeah. So but, how but, do you bring something different to correct. just being? Oh, it's the first black aviator. It's the first black, well, you know, whatever inventor. It's the first black mm, athlete. Right. Well, one of one so. of the things that we always do in our scripts. As a matter of fact, when we get to the point where we're talking about now, why us? Like, why are we a part yeah. of this project? We talk about you know who we are and you know our backgrounds, yeah. and we talk about our dance background and how as dancers how we see things visually from this point of view. Yeah. Right, and then we talk about one of our specialties as an example is to take something old and make it new, and here's yeah, how. Right, good. so I say all that to say, for example, like we brought brought on probably four projects in the last year, where it was written by somebody white, probably just like here's the story, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, and then they bring on you know some black writers, of course, and then we come in and go, okay, this is a white saver project, you know that, right? Here's why, yeah, <laughs> right? Absolutely. So what I found is. Kind of piggybacking off what you're talking about is how to make it current. Is there's little things that we are doing is going, okay, that's something that a white person wrote because they thought that was a great idea. Mm -hmm. In this climate, here's why that doesn't work. Yeah. But we could take that moment and just spin it like this. Here's mm -hmm. a perfect example. So in this new show we're doing called The Roach, right? Um, based on this huge book, we're adapting it. In the story, there's this little black kid who works with the superhero kind of guy, right? Mm -hmm. And um, he's not a real superhero, but he plays a superhero. And um, he's in a wheelchair now. And this kid, this black kid, has a mother who's like a nurse. And um, they live in like the project projects in this particular Iron City, right? Mm -hmm. Detroit. And um, 
in their story, he ends up, you know, getting badly hurt and wounded and whatever. I think he's shot and he ends up waking up and he's in 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 the project that is uh, he he brought him home to his mother so his mother could take care of him and he wakes up and he's all bandaged and there's his mother and he's in like the projects and i was like "Eh." and the way he describes the place is like typical what they think we live and i was like i grew up in the hood every one of us had actually pretty nice houses considering Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. i was like there would be plastic on the things is the early 80s it would be you know (laughs) what i mean right and i'm like no so that's how we take it back we go okay Mm -hmm. you got we still can keep them in the projects but once we get inside and she's a nurse she probably has a decent job i was like no we're gonna change a couple things it's actually a nice home inside of the the authenticity Boom. I think so, authenticity so yeah, so yeah. where I was going with all that, that's how we take the power back for us. Yeah. When we know that some white writer or, you know, producer or executive has written this document, we go, Okay, we know what they were trying to do. Now we need to make it more black for us today. How yeah, can we do that? Yeah. You know? So that's now cool. we've we've taken the responsibility to do it as opposed to, oh, they just hired us because we're black. We're like, okay, great, let's take that money and let's make it more black in a better <laughs> way. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I just had to say that little piece. Oh, it's yeah, funny. It's wow. Brilliant. Yeah. Well, thank you, girl. This was awesome. So Good having you. So much fun talking with both of you and sharing. And let's keep supporting each other as yes. we do this thing. We do. Yeah. We do. And hopefully, we'll see you at the next Black Committee meeting. I think we got one coming up. Is it this month? Is it on Zoom? Yeah. Still, we're going to be on Zoom for a minute. You will see me there. You know. Yeah. It's the Guild. I heard September, but I'm not sure. Why? Just make sure everyone's vaccinated. I mean, you should be able to show proof that you've been vaccinated and you should be able to come into fucking, you know, that's how I When they open the movie theater up again, that's all I care about. I thought they did. No, the Guild Theater. Oh. People suspect, you know. (laughs) What? Yeah, we are. Oh. (laughs) Oh, you know, I don't care. I just didn't know if we were still. Oh, no, we we just been talking. It sounded like you were doing the wrap up. No, no, no. Well, I am, but we. I'll I'll finish the whole thing, but you know, like I said on this show, we don't we don't hide back anything. We That's what we're calling. Yeah, I no. Except for the one thing, I'm gonna get rid of that. One yeah, just yes, the, yeah, for sure. I saw that. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you did it last week too. I know. I didn't. Just... <laughs> anyway, so um, thank you again, everybody. Please go on um, Amazon and uh, rent or buy. If you get any money, buy the goddamn. Movie for the Clark Sisters is so good. It's so good. Yeah. And also, I'm just excited because I have some other projects, shopping, a few TV pilots, mm-hmm. and as you said, writing Wally Triplet right. and some other writing jobs coming up. So right. I'm really excited. That's I'm awesome. I'm looking forward to this next next season. Now, you're in a good place. Where can people follow you? Are you on Instagram, yeah, Twitter, I'm on a Twitter as Script Lit Chick and script I'm on Instagram chick. as Camille Tuck with no K. Where you at, Chris? Uh, I said unauthorized CBD at Twitter and Instagram. You know, it's funny. What's that? I, it always happens. It always happens. We were in the, we were drinking scotch the other night at, <laughs> the, at the show and um they, and they were, it was, they were, you know, they're talking about, well, so you smoke weed? I said, no, I don't smoke weed. And they're like, wait, 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 wait. Your handle says CBD. Oh, uh, people think that's what I, it I is. thought you were making a real statement there. I was like, no, that's my middle initial. They were like, oh, we thought you were like really all about us. I was like, no. That's, that's, why, that's why everybody trips when, they, when you say yeah. that. 
Yeah. I yeah. see. I've never smoked weed yeah. in my entire life. Yeah. I have no idea. I don't so. smoke it. So I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I never drank, smoked, did drugs. Yeah. There it is. Yeah. Just, uh, I plead the fifth on all of that. We got the videotape. <laughs> she a crack monster. We got we got the tape. <laughs> and I'm your host, Hilliard Guest. You guys can find me on Twitter at Hilliard Guest. <clears throat> you can follow the show, Screenwriters RR on Twitter. Any questions, screenwritersrantroom at gmail.com. Please go on iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, um, Spotify, whatever you guys listen to. We are everywhere out there. Uh, we appreciate you guys, all the followers that are following us. Um, how are we looking on the website? Are we getting close? I mean, it's, it's still up. So yeah. so, so the website, screenwritersrr.com, where you can support the show with our Patreon link. The store is down because we're switching over to Squarespace. Uh, momentarily, I got to figure this money thing. I got to figure out. Um, but you know, but but support the show. Go to the Patreon link. It's on there. It's on the homepage. And you know, help us out. Help a bro- help some brothers out <laughs> financially in the post COVID exactly. lockdown vaccinated semi <laughs> era that we're in right now. And uh, mm. but the but the site will the the. The store will be up again soon with stuff to buy, T-shirts, the out-of-print stuff about the um, staff writer to showrunner thing, um, be some mugs. There'll be some new stuff, too. When I get, there's more things to get on the, on the, uh, the stuff, but soon. Very awesome. Soon. And um, I never say it, but I'm also on Instagram and fucking Clubhouse um, at Hilliard Guest. <laughs> I never say it. Uh, anyway, so thank you, and hopefully we'll see Lisa soon. Um <clears throat> Which you could have met her. She would you guys you would have loved her. Um she's awesome. Um I think there's a lot of shit going I'll on. I'll meet her next time. Yes, indeed. We'll have to have you back. <laughs> um thank you. This is awesome. Thank you. Thank you for coming through. Thank you. Thank you. It was so much fun talking to you both. Everybody joining me for Wakanda for I can't even speak straight. For Wakanda Forever. You guys know how we're doing on the rant room on the show. We keep it real. We keep it opinionated. We keep it what? Everybody Wakanda, Wakanda forever. forever. Yeah, peace out. what I feel, and I promise to keep it real. Welcome to the Red Room. Well, you gotta be a rider Till your fears are diminishing The doubts are behind ya It's hard to grind And the business got me stressed In the rent room We let that shit up off our chest You know the street nerd has got no time for no caca Sass in class Yes, that's Mr. Bolakaja Never have to guess When you're listening to Hilliard He gon' bring more game Than a shark playing billiards It's all about the crap of screenwriting It's exciting when you turn an outline Into something enlightening Your pen and words Are like bullets in a gun Write what you feel Say what you want Welcome to the Red Room. This episode of the Screenwriter's Rant Room is brought to you by the Tyrota Finish Line Social Impact Script Competition. It's back for a second year in a row. The competition will again celebrate film and television scripts that seek to raise awareness and inspire change regarding urgent issues with critical relevance across our society now, such as racial, gender, or economic inequality, climate change, drug addiction, the broken foster care system, gun violence, and much more. The competition especially encourages submissions from historically underrepresented writers. The Tyrota Finish Line Script Competition runs from January 18th through June 10th. Please go to Film Freeway and learn how to submit your script.